This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Twas the night before hockey, all through the arena, not a player was skating, not even Zadina. The jerseys were all in their lockers hung up, while Great Eight spent one last night spooning the cup. The starters were nestled all snug in their slots, while GM schemed cat wins in hits, blocks, and shots. Steve Stamkos in blue and two EKs in teal were lacing them up for the season's ordeal. The spreadsheets and draft nights, the guides and the trades, all leading to this next most glorious of days. Outkeeping some rivals, outdrafting the rest, with the goal of a cupful champ's shirt on your chest. GMs, check your rosters. Tonight's the last shot to grab that free agent who's sure to get hot. No more ranking or guessing, no more speculation, but stats in real time for your consideration. Now Patrick, now Eric, now Austin and Jack, on Tyler, on Rasmus, on Dave Pasternak, to play off first round buys, each league to the top, for this is the last night before the puck drops. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 hoj här kommer Carlson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. everybody to the first regular season episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys on eric carlson in their keeper pools i got it out brian i'm your host elon dubrovsky and with me as always to break down this entire season week by week it is the fantasy hockey robot the rotisserie rapscallion the Corsi authority the ad drop ace the ipp mvp brian Kong. hello elon hello everybody we are so excited that hockey has started and we have games and goals and assists and hits and blocks and all the wonderful things that we like to talk about. And we had a very fitting introduction to our show. Credit to our patron, Lewis, uh, who's a longtime listener, who, who has this annual tradition of Twas the Night Before Hockey Season that he shared with us. We shared it out on Facebook if you want to uh, see the words for yourself. Anyway, thank you, Lewis. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into what is absolutely going to be an amazing hockey season and podcast season. Hockey podcast season. 
Yes, it is the hockey podcast season, and I'm very excited not only for this whole season of Keeping Carlson, but for today's episode. Brian, I think I went a little ham here. I've got a big, long duck of so many players I want to talk about, and I know for every single one, you're just going to tell me, Elon, it's been two games, chill. But I'm not going to chill. I'm going to I'm going to throw it out there. You'll be the one to pour that bucket of cold water over my head for every single player. But before we get started, of course, let us mention that we are very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. I can't believe that we're being presented by the best fantasy hockey website out there what a great fit right and i've basically used dauber hockey to prep this whole episode their frozen tools are so amazing it's totally revamped the player profiles the teams you get you know what the percentage of power play time for every player the latest line combinations i love frozen tools plus of course there's the daily ramblings every day it's just this fantastic site amazing resource you got to check it out dauberhockey.com if you want to be successful in your pools another Quick announcement before we get started. I never mentioned Brian River. Last year, we did a playoff pool with all of the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League winners. And the stakes were that the loser would have to like write a song about the winner. And I lost. I came in last place. And Bradley, <laughs> the genius, won this whole thing. He was the smartest person because he picked both Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. He's the one who knew that the Capitals were going all the way. Meanwhile, I was the guy who went big on Pittsburgh and LA. And I came in last place. Thank you so much, Bradley. Bradley for saying that I don't have to sing a song and just mentioning you on the podcast would be enough. So congratulations to you. But okay, with that, Brian, I am ready to get started. I think we've got a fun format for today's show. You can let us know if you want us to do this all season long or if it'll just be a one show thing. I'm going to do a little free association, Brian. You used to have this radio show on Carleton University in Ottawa, public radio or whatever it's called. Community radio community radio where you would play a song and then at the end talk about that song and then say how it relates to the next song then do that song would be this big linked chain i'm going to try to do that with every single player we talk about what do you think is an homage to you wow that sounds so good and all past free association playlists are available over at ckcufm.com brian if you remind me i can make a link even carlson.com slash ckcu you can check that out (laughs) Okay, how about we get started? And I want to start in the place, I don't know if we even started one episode last season, but we're going to start there today. Let's start in Vancouver and talk about Elias Pedersen. Oh my God. So he's got two games under his belt right now, both versus Mike Smith and the Calgary Flames. On Wednesday, he had a goal and an assist. On Saturday, two goals and an assist. Uh, Of those three points on Saturday, one was a power play goal, one was a power play assist. Nice start to a career, right? Got to imagine five points in your first two games. That must be close to a record. I don't know if you looked into that at all, but that's a very impressive first two games of a career. And keep in mind, the three even strength points that Elias Pettersson got were playing with Louis Erickson and Nikolai Goldobin. So it's not as if he's being carried at all. He's clearly the guy carrying the line. He's on the power play with Besser, Horvat, Berchi, and Edler. I know you said, Brian, on a recent, recent patron cast that like, oh, I mean, it's not as if it's going to be that great a power play. How many power play points can you get? I don't know. With Elias Pettersson, and maybe it is a great power play. This guy is so good. We lauded him in our almanac, our you know first ever NHL audio almanac for anyone just tuning in. We did this crazy thing. Uh, check out keepinggirls.com slash almanac for that. But yeah, we lauded him for his amazing career in Sweden. You found out that he basically had the best career there since Peter Forsberg. Like this is the comparable we were talking about. And he had an amazing preseason. Now with these first two games, Brian, I think this guy might be for real. So here's my questions to you. First of all, do we have to update our expectations for Pedersen? Like, I know we were talking about maybe like 50, 55 points. At this point, do we have to think this is a 60-plus point guy, a 70-plus point guy? And also, like, do guys like Goldobin and Erickson and Berchi on the power play, do they need to be considered worth owning in fantasy now just because of their exposure to Elias Pedersen? Is any of these guys, like, standing out to you? Man, I've got more questions, but I'll see. I'll yield the floor to you. Like, how good is Elias Pedersen? Like, how many points is he going to get this year? 
A lot. He's going to get a lot of points. He's probably going to get more points than any other rookie. You were wondering if anyone has started their career as wonderfully as Elias Pettersson has. Recent examples that I found, well, Austin Matthews had his four-goal game, his first game ever. Uh, Peter Forsberg, since he brought him up, three points in his first two games. So just another place where Elias Pettersson is crushing Peter Forsberg. Also, Fabian Brunstrom, if anyone forgot, and Derek Stepan opened their NHL careers with hat tricks. But I wasn't able to find, like, isolate. Just Anyway, whatever Elias Pettersson did in his first two games was fantastic. And now, to project him, I want to say 65 points. But I still have some concerns about that actually being possible with his particular supporting cast. So I'm going to settle at 60 points and say we can work up from there. But I do see that there is upside for 70 or more. I will also add uh, that Pedersen has scored twice on five shots at even strength and his on-ice teammates have scored once on another five shots at even strength. Similarly high percentages on the power play. You're going to hear that. Well, actually, you're, I'm going to try not to say that too often through this episode because everybody, Elon, that you mentioned is just going to have some crazy personal or on-ice shooting percentage. That's the reason they're gathering attention. So I'm trying to focus on what the more sustainable situation is, which is deployment, line mates. And in Pedersen's case, those percentages are going to come down, of course, but maybe now is a really good time to see how high you can sell lives, Pedersen, while the hype is so high. Like we can hope for Pedersen to get up to the 65, 70 point range, but there are plenty of guys in the NHL who we can trust to get there because they've done it before in sustainable ways. So if you're a Pedersen owner, you should certainly be ready to make or listen to offers on him. I feel like, you know, the, the, your inclination is to be like, I'm so proud of myself for drafting Pedersen and I'm just going to ride him as long as I can. But you always want to see exactly what you can get and how much you can cash in on. Like, I, I don't know, Elon, I think this is probably the most hyped a player has been outside of a Toronto Maple Leaf in a long time. But that's what it feels like for me. Yeah, I think that's a, a very astute observation. Good advice. I think definitely you're talking about a one-year league and a keeper league. Like who know? like the ceiling for Eli- Elias Pettersson like five years from now could be ast- enormous. But like for, yeah, one-year league, yeah, we actually had a question on our Facebook group. Patron Paul asked, should he try to sell high on Pettersson? What I suggested is basically what you said. I like go for someone like Dreisaitl or, or P.K. Subban if you need a defense. Like I was like, shoot for the stars. If no one accepts it, then just enjoy Pettersson because he definitely is for real. But I like your idea of, yeah, trying to sell for... For someone that's a guarantee for 70 plus. And I like your idea about looking not just at Pedersen, but at the guys who are being exposed to him, like Louis Erickson and Nikolai Goldobin. In our almanac, we were finally ready to finally give up on Louis Erickson for good. He hadn't been able to secure a spot with the Sedins or do much with them when he did get some time alongside them. But this Pedersen, Erickson, Goldobin line is flying. Now it's worth not a lot at this point, small sample size all through the show. I'm going to try not to say it too many times, but I'll still mention that Pedersen's line is a top 10 line in even strength shot attempts per 60 minutes. And I'm mentioning it because that does illustrate just how successful they've been in limited time together, just putting shots towards the net relative to other trios who've still played in small sample size, but not done as well. And this is counting any set of three players who've played for at least 10 minutes of even strength time. That's that's what we're dealing with here on this first 
Monday of the NHL season. Of course, it doesn't fully illustrate whether this line is going to be able to keep it up, but we're going to be watching. So to answer your question about Erickson and Goldobin, Elon, anyone exposed to Pedersen has their stock go up. Uh, he seems like an excellent guy to be making plays with or having opportunities to make plays. Uh, Goldobin, uh, you can see the benefits in his on-ice numbers. Erickson, his on-ice numbers are better than they have been pretty much for the, his entire career. But again, this is based off just a couple games. Sven Berchi is the one exception in not having a Pedersen effect showing up in his shot attempt rates, which have actually been worse than usual over two games compared to the rest of his career. But again, we're not reading too heavily into the, the moral of the story here is Pedersen is amazing and anyone playing with him should, you, you should at least have a passing interest in them. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about a bunch of players on the show who are also slumping, you know, after even though after a couple of games, can you really call it slumping? But, you know, so we're going to have to make some decisions. Maybe star Goldobin, put him on your watch list, and then maybe consider picking him up for someone depending on schedule and things like that. Another guy is Alex Edler, by the way, who already seemed like a great steal in drafts, especially in leagues that count his hits and blocks, because he's the quarterback of the top power play at this point. He's good while he's healthy. He had a great end to last season. If Pedersen is good, that just means more power play points for Alex Edler. Even like uh, Jacob Markstrom, I feel like I wonder if his value goes up. Maybe now Vancouver will be able to score a few more goals, maybe give him a few more wins. So I'm yeah, very excited. But obviously, we do have to temper our expectations a little bit. And also keep in mind that these two great games were against Calgary and against Mike Smith. And Mike Smith has not been so great. And we'll talk about him in a little bit. On the flip side, Brian, let's talk about Brock Besser really quickly. Should his owners be concerned? Because Vancouver scored nine goals in these two games against Calgary. And Besser got in on none of them. No points. Only two shots. Maybe is there a concern that he's not fully recovered from the injury that ended last season early for him? And I should point out, I did read one tweet. I don't even know if it was like from someone verified or someone worth paying attention to. But they're saying, who knows, maybe uh, Pedersen ends up playing with Besser to try to get him jump-started. So even keep in mind, all these line combinations can easily switch. But right now, like Brock Besser, do you have any concern or do you think he's going to be just fine? Uh, probably going to be fine. I'm not that concerned. I guess the one narrative that we can try and push here on Brock Besser, aside from the obvious he's only played two games, is that Besser put on seven or eight pounds of weight over the summer that he joked in an interview with, I think it was, oh, I should have taken this down. I'm sorry, Vancouver province, maybe. Uh, he said it's hopefully, the writer was Ben Kuzma. Uh, he, he said it's hopefully all muscle, these seven or eight pounds, but Besser said he didn't change his training or skating regimen or anything. And so you just imagine uh, trying to maneuver around NHL defensemen carrying around another seven or eight pounds. There's probably a bit of a learning curve in that, and it seemed to show up in Besser's preseason as well. So if I choose to think that anything at all might be wrong with Besser, and we're not just seeing a difficult start in a small sample size in a year where other teams are, well, let's remember, other teams are better prepared to be aware of and shut down Besser's tendencies, uh, that extra weight would be the thing, uh, which means like maybe in eight to 10 games, give him a game per pound. And then we'll see if he's able to, to know exactly how to use his new frame. But I, I'm counting on him being okay. That's funny. So, hey, maybe a good buy low opportunity. Reach out to the Brock Besser owner who might be nervous. This is a good time to take advantage of nervous, potentially new fantasy hockey owners who don't really know what they're doing. I'm pretty sure I saw on Twitter or Facebook someone said that Besser was dropped in their league, which is pretty crazy. So, yeah, keep your eye out. If See if you can get a steal on him or one of these other guys. We're going to talk about snoozing a little bit off the bat. But, yeah, give him some time. He's Brock Besser. He was uh, approaching, like, 40 goals last year. Uh, okay, 
Let's now go to this Flames team that Pedersen has been feasting on. And I want to go right to the top line and talk about another Elias, Elias Lindholm. Ever since the Flames acquired Lindholm in that Dougie Hamilton trade and then signed James Neal a week or so later, we've been speculating on who's going to be the one to get on the top line with Gajo and Monaghan. And so far, the answer has been Elias Lindholm. And after a pointless game on Wednesday, he had a huge night on Saturday, scoring two goals, one assist, five shots, Four hits. He's even good for hits. One of those goals was on the power play because, oh, yeah, he's also on the top power play with Gaudreau, Monahan, Kachuk, Mark Giordano. So, like, what an amazing spot for Elias Lindholm. I feel like there's not as many spots as cushy as that in the whole league playing with these amazing players. He also played over 20 minutes in each of the last two games. It's not one of these guys that just gets on a good line, but, you know, doesn't get used a lot overall. Like, he's in a good line. He's being used a lot. The team obviously likes him. So, Brian, you've always been pretty meh on Lindholm in the past. Does his spot in the lineup combined with Saturday's outbursts change your mind at all? I feel like for the 68% of people who have Lindholm as a free agent in their leagues in Yahoo, that's right, he's only 32% owned. I'd like to see their lineups because I feel like they must have room for the top line, top power play, Elias Lindholm, who just got three points on Saturday. Yeah, how could you not try and find a way to make room for Elias Lindholm? Uh, the Lindholm Monahan Gaudreau line also ranks as one of the most frequent shot attempting trios per minute of even strength ice time at this young stage of the season. But unlike Erickson and Goldobin, the funny part here for Lindholm is that he's not really in unfamiliar territory in terms of on ice shot attempts per 60 minutes. Like his, his line is really succeeding in on ice shooting attempts, but it's not as big of a jump as we're seeing in Erickson Goldobin's number. And that's why I've been meh about Elias Lindholm. He's been in good spots before on lines that have been pushing a lot of offense, but not converting on it. Of course, none of those spots where Lindholm has been have been as good as where he's at right now with Sean and Johnny. And given Lindholm's deployment and the kind of early success that's going to earn him more games in this deployment, it's pretty inexcusable for Elias Lindholm to be a free agent in any format at this point. And okay, aside from Lindholm, let's not waste time talking about all these other top power play guys who've also had great starts to the surprise of nobody. Well, maybe actually Mark Giordano could be a bit of a surprise after a down year last year, but Giordano is definitely someone who is living up to the hype now that he's the for sure top power play guy there. Instead, though, I want to talk about a couple of guys that could be looking like potential busts at this point. And I want to start with James Neal. Neal's not only not on the top line, he's also been playing in the bottom six on a line with Derek Ryan and Dylan Dubé. Ouch. And I assume it's Dubé or Dube. Like, it's clearly someone I've never heard of, which isn't good for James Neal. People were thinking he was going to be on the top line or at worst, like, take that Frolic spot on line two. But no, it's been James Neal in the bottom six, also on the second power play for whatever that's worth for you, not on the top one. He's had one assist in the two games so far. If you had Neal on your Kakuffle team, Brian, would you be considering dropping him at this point? Like, we'll be getting a lot of exciting, sparsely owned players during the show. We're going to be getting to a lot of them. We're going to be talking about them. I want to know, is Neal a guy at this point where we should be telling people is like should be at the bottom of their rosters someone to consider dropping if there's someone exciting coming up or would you say neil's the type of guy that you need to hold on to for a few weeks maybe he gets back on into the top six onto the top line maybe he gets better power play deployment or maybe he could still do good stuff from the current deployment he's getting because don't forget james neil was one of the rare vegas golden knights last year to not have this insane breakout he had like 50 or so points or at least that was his pace so yeah brian james neil what do you think is he a bust or is he someone worth holding on to 
When Good Charlotte sang their seminal mid-aughts anthem, Hold On, they were not advising on fantasy hockey and James Neal. You could probably let him go, leave him to the bottom of your roster, because there was one spot available for either James Neal or Elias Lindholm that would inherently grant whichever player got into that spot fantasy relevance, and Lindholm won that spot. And so James Neal toils elsewhere without any really apparent space in the top six or power play one for him to squeeze into. Of course, early going still, so give James Neal the shooting luck of, say, Elias Lindholm or some of the other guys we're talking about this show, and we could be pushing a very different narrative for James Neal, but he does really seem like a candidate to be streamed out early for guys who you have in free agency who have more uh, compelling deployment and upside situations. Let's also recall that James Neal hasn't been offering a whole lot uh, recently, at all in his career 51 point pace last year in what was considered a really successful season for James Neal in Vegas and he's a below 50 point pace the year before Neal was a fringe own as a top six player without being on the top line in top power play and now he falls off the fringe on the third line in the second power play unit not someone you need to hang on to especially at this very exciting time in the season if there are interesting upside options available to you instead yeah, I feel like in a lot of leagues, what you could do is drop James Neal if you have someone exciting. But then you need to be the one watching the line combinations, going to, you know, Frozen Tools or whatever source you use, go on Twitter and keep an eye on if Calgary is switching up their lines and go and grab him. Like, don't wait for him to play a game on the top line. You'll see a beat writer saying, by the way, James Neal's been practicing on the top line and grab him early because that would mean he's good. But I agree with you, Brian. While he's on the third line, I don't think I'd be holding on very long. The other guy on Calgary I wanted to bring up that's not doing so well at the start is Mike Smith. The goalie, he's not looked great in his two starts so far. He stopped only 34 of 42 shots for an 8-10 save percentage. Still got the win on Saturday, a 7-4 win. You're a Smith owner in the Cacupful. And again, the Cacupful is the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patient Fantasy League, which is off and running. Very exciting. So, Brian, are you panicking yet? Or are you confident that Mike Smith will be fine? Do you have any fear of David Riddick challenging as the backup? Well, David Riddick, nor uh, John Gillies, for that matter, showed themselves to be all that ready to pose a real challenge to Mike Smith last year. And I don't know that either are in any better of a position to, to do that this year. I expect the Flames to give Mike Smith all the time he needs to settle in and be their workhorse. They need him to. So even though I own him and I'm upset with his first couple performances, I'm not all that concerned that Mike Smith's job is up for grabs at this point. Okay, that's fair. And so it sounds like you're saying the job is fine. What about the goalie? Like, he's old, right? At some point, goalies fall off. Do you have any concern that maybe Mike Smith had that great start last year? But he did also fall off last year. I wonder if maybe he's just finally declining into being a below average goalie. Or do you, you, Or it sounds like you still have some confidence that he could at least be good for one more year, at least part of a year. Yeah, I think he can hold on to being a reasonably average NHL starting goaltender so long as so long as his health doesn't fail him. I think he can hang on this year. Like, yes, he is old. There's some concern there, but I uh, I think he's still got enough in him. And the Flames should be a decent enough team in front of him. But of course, we'll get a better picture of that over in, over the next two three weeks. Yeah, for sure. So, hey, maybe if you need a goalie in your league and you're trying to figure out how to get one, try to go after one of these goalies that's slumping at first and maybe you could get a decent deal on them. Go for a Mike Smith. Go for a, you know, Jake Allen. Go for a Matt Murray. I mean, maybe we'll get to these guys and you'll say that actually don't go for these guys. But yeah, there's a lot of goalies that have really sucked over the first week of fantasy. And so maybe these are goalies that you could get. Or if you have them, you could just cry. I have Murray and Allen in the couple and I've been crying a lot lately. I'm going to lose my first matchup and it's very, very sad. But okay, let's go to the team that Calgary got 
got Elias Lindholm from in the Carolina Hurricanes. Another team that should be good. They just need the goaltending. Though the big player that came back to Carolina in that trade was Dougie Hamilton. And, you know, we talked about that trade. We said, oh, Hamilton's going to Carolina. And, oh, yeah, Michael Furland also. We just talked about him as a throw-in. So far, it's been Furland getting the deployment and making an impact. While Hamilton has been as quiet as he likely is when he's visiting a museum. Hamilton has only one assist in three games so far. He's played less than 20 minutes total each game, and he's been relegated to the second power play unit away from the Ajos and the Teravinans of the world. Got to imagine we can't recommend anyone give up on Dougie Hamilton yet, right? Like, he's been so good. Last year, he ended so strong. But, would, like, maybe we're going to have to say that he's a potential buy-low candidate, or maybe should people be concerned about this? Maybe Carolina doesn't see him as their top guy. Justin Falk somehow is still ahead of him on the depth chart in terms of total ice time and power power play ice time okay yeah so this is a another situation where it's it's dougie hamilton being underutilized uh, you don't say right we've seen this before though this time it is in favor of a guy who can actually do some version of what hamilton does and that guy being justin falk who is no tj brody and Falk's success makes it harder for hamilton to rise but we'll get to that in a couple minutes hamilton has survived just fine though getting secondary deployment in the past and I imagine he can survive just fine again should Falk be able to maintain exclusivity on the best blue line minutes in Carolina although this is worse for Hamilton maybe maybe I'm being too kind by saying Hamilton's getting secondary deployment it might be too mild a term to describe Dougie Hamilton having ranked fourth sixth and fourth in ice time amongst Hurricanes D-men across their first three contests. I'm still leaning, however, towards thinking of this as a buy-low moment for Dougie Hamilton. If you don't own him, maybe send a little little bit of a low-ball offer over. I have to think he's going to be fine eventually, and that his floor for points and shots on goal still makes him roster-worthy. Just his ceiling is affected here when he isn't getting that top-end deployment. Yeah, for sure. But maybe one reason to not give up on Hamilton just yet would be that Justin Falk has been very Justin Falkish so far. He's picked up no power play points in three games, even with this great deployment. He did get two assists in yesterday's 8-5 slobber knocker over the Rangers, but they were at even strength. Anyways, Falk is owned in 63% of Yahoo leagues right now. And to be honest, I have no idea if that's like too high or too low. He had such a bad year last year, but he's still getting good deployment. If he's on the top power play, he's got to be worth owning. But like, what do you think about this guy? Is he going to be good this year or not? Like, I I really have no idea where you're going to go with Justin Falk. It's hard to have an idea just because we've been talking about him for the last couple of years as someone who's better than his numbers have shown. And the proof just was not showing up in the pudding. And all of a sudden it's here when he has some real competition. I'm feeling pretty confident in my preseason prediction where I said that Falk is going to get 40 points. Of course, with this deployment, I'm feeling a little more confident that Falk is going to meet and potentially exceed that 40 point prediction. Still don't know that he's going to hold top power play duties. Like it's not a slam dunk at all. It is really nice to see Falk off to a good start though. After, like I said, really barely even showing a spark the last couple seasons, let alone having the bona fide seeds of a hot streak to kick off the year. And Elon, I actually want to bounce this back at you because I-, I liked Falk before the year started more than you did. I put him at 40 points in our almanac. You only had him at 35. So I'm going to ask you, are you higher on Justin Falk now than you were going into the season? 
Yeah, for sure. Like, if he's going to be on the top power play, I'd go for 40 points, even though he wasn't able to do it last year. But I like this Carolina team overall, though we'll talk about some other players that are getting some weird deployment. But yeah, I think I would be a little bit higher. It's hard to say, right? Like, I wouldn't even say he's on a hot streak, right? He had two assists in a game that was eight <laughs> to five. You're not going to get games like this, you know, all the time. Like, Lungfist wasn't in net. Like, it was a it was a weird game. So let's wait and see. I don't know. I feel like I'm still kind of even. Like, 35 to 40 points. I feel like he's got to get bumped at some points. You got to give Dougie a chance. And, and Brian, okay. Next, like, I don't want to make this the Carolina show. I feel like every time we talk about the Hurricanes, I just want to talk about, like, all their players. But there's so many interesting players to discuss. Like, Michael Furland, the guy that I was talking about that was a throw-in in this trade, he's playing on the top line with Aho and Tara Vinen, and he's taking full advantage. He has four points in the three games so far. He's also getting second unit power play time with the aforementioned Hamilton, Martin Nichas, Andrei Svechnikov, and Jacob Slavin. What's your sense of Furland's spot here? Like, you think he could hold it? And would you consider dropping, like, a James Neal for Furland while he's on the top line and doing well? Or, you know, there's some other options. Even in Carolina, like, would you go with perhaps a steadier but more boring option, Jordan Stahl, who's also off to a great start. He's got four points in three games. He had a goal and two assists versus the Rangers yesterday. Stahl's been, you know, playing on a line with Justin Williams and Warren Fogle, which isn't that great, but he's been on the top power play with Aho, Teravainen, Williams, and Falk. And by the way, I'll also point out that Valentin Zikov was healthy scratch yesterday, so probably time to drop him if you took a flyer on him. But yeah, are you into Furland or Stahl at this point? Let's say if you have someone like a James Neal, do you make that switch? And also, by the way, everyone listening, did you know that Michael Furland's name is spelled the Michael is M-I-C-H-E-A-L? What are you doing? Like, that's not how you spell it. But anyway, okay. It, I was so surprised when Google Docs gave me that underline telling me I had a spelling error. I was like, no, I think I know how to spell Michael, Google. But apparently, I not this Michael. It was Brian, Furland and Stahl, what do you think? Uh, let's start with Mike, Michael Furland. Uh, who, he, he can spell his name however we want. Who are we to judge? Uh, just not a whole lot of competition for that top line left wing spot in Carolina right now that Furland holds. So... Imagine he keeps holding it. It's even a kind of a surprise that that spot even exists. Uh, now that Sebastian Ajo seems to be sticking at center and Teravinen playing to his right, uh, there is a, a semi-quasi-unexpected left-wing spot available. And Furland's only competition is Warren Fogle, Brock McGinn, Jordan Martinook. So why not put Michael Furland there, right? Especially with these early returns coming fast and furious. Uh just to call back to what we were talking about, I'd happily drop a James Neal for Michael Furland right now. I see him as sort of a Patrick Maroon type. He's in a really great situation, but also very line dependent. So you need to be watching closely if you own him to see whether his situation changes. As for Jordan Stallwell, he does a really fantastic job of settling perfectly every year into that barely above replacement role. So with his production, he's a good guy to stream. Uh, but Jordan Stahl is not someone I ever feel like holding for very long, seeing as how many more potential upside picks there might be at any given moment. Like in the season, I'm not even talking first couple weeks. Uh, so we can pretty much set our watches to Jordan Stahl being a 48-point player, which is great to stream into your lineup if you're going to get two games out of him in three days or four games out of six days or whatever you know dense schedule moment that Carolina has. But outside of that, Jordan Stahl is not that interesting to me as a fantasy owner. 
Yeah, I guess, yeah, you look for him when he has a good schedule or he's playing against a team with like a crappy goalie or a team playing their backup and you might be able to get some points out of him. Uh, Brian, okay, here's the moment. I know you've been fretting. I want to get into the Carolina goaltending situation. So Scott Darling was having a solid preseason. Then he left the final preseason game with a lower body injury. The last word on October 2nd was that he'd be out a couple of weeks. He's apparently skating today, but still no exact timetable of when he'll be back. You'd think, okay, great news for Petr Mrazek. The Canes claimed Curtis McElhenney after he was waived by the Leafs, but of course we assumed it would be Morazic's net and he'll get a chance to show what he's got. One problem, though, is that Petr Morazic might suck. Like He was so bad last year, and now coming to this year, he stopped 18 out of 20 shots in a 2-1 loss to the Islanders on Thursday, which I guess is okay. 900 save percentage, nothing special. They would have taken like two, three more shots. It would have been a reasonable save percentage. Then he got rocked by the Rangers yesterday, letting in five goals on 24 shots. He got the win, but I feel like you don't want to get a win letting in five goals like that. Like There are better ways to get your first win as a Carolina Hurricane. Anyways, in between those two games, Curtis McElhaney got the second half of the back-to-back on Friday versus the Blue Jackets, and he was amazing. He stopped 31 of 32 shots in a 3-1 win. So now we go into next week. The Hurricanes play Vancouver tomorrow on Tuesday, and then they play Minnesota and Winnipeg over the weekend in a back-to-back. Do you think there's like a chance McElhenney gets... Oh, I, I feel like he's going to get one of those back-to-back games on the weekend. You think he could potentially get that game against Vancouver on Tuesday? And I guess the bigger question is when Darling comes back, is there even a chance that Morazic is the one who gets waived and not McElhenney? Like, I don't know, just the whole, maybe I'm being crazy and you're going to tell me, Elon, calm down. But Petr Morazic, I just like don't have any faith in him. At the same time, I saw him drop to one of my leagues where it's impossible to get starting goalies. I'm temp- I, like I'm considering adding him. So on one hand, I'm asking you, is he terrible? Is he going to get waived and not be in the NHL soon? On the other hand, I'm saying, should I add him in this league? Yeah, well, maybe you should, because in the meantime, before he gets waived out of the NHL, he could be helpful to you. I mean, we're talking about the Vancouver game coming up, and it's almost like, what's the point? Because neither McElhaney or Morazic is going to be able to stop anything from Elias Pettersson or his line mates or anybody's shaking hands with that night. But it seems to me like Curtis McElhaney should at least get one, if not both, of the remaining starts before Scott Darling could potentially return uh, for this week. We'll see whether the organization in Carolina still wants to see if Morazic can be a longer-term fit than a single-season stopgap measure. If that's the case, I figure the Canes give Morazic the chance to get back in net and try to get on track. If it's not, then why wouldn't McElhaney get both games, right? Morazic has just let them down. McElhaney, if he can pull out a great game, uh, good for him. It's not going to have to happen too often because, well, hopefully Scott Darling will be back and hopefully he'll be better. Can I talk about Scott Darling or did you want to say anything first? No, I mean, I think it's funny at this point that we're considering Scott Darling the savior after the season he had <laughs> last year. But it's like just Morazic's been bad. And McElhenney, like you say, like, I don't know, we have this debate in private about McElhenney where I was like, oh, oh, like maybe Darling has some competition now when they signed him. And you were like, come on, it's Curtis McElhenney. And you're like, McElhenney's been a, just the, a basic what you'd expect backup goalie. I feel like he's like a 909 in his career. He had a great year last year though what was like eight games like one good game now like he could be good every once in a while Morazic I'm totally afraid of but yeah like I feel like the Hurricanes are going to get by on these two they need Scott Darling to come back and be good hopefully he'll be fine for them but yeah talk about Scott Darling well not only are we at a point where we're asking could Scott Darling come back and be the savior but I've also come to a really ridiculous thought through all of this well first Darling owners can maybe take a exhale a little bit because when he does come back what Morazic has done at least clarifies for darling owners that Morazic may not pose much of a threat for starts after all. 
But yeah, now, now I've arrived at this moment where the question has become, does McElhaney pose a threat to Scott Darling's starts? McElhaney is in his age 36 season. It's the 11th campaign of his career. Wouldn't it be something if Curtis McElhaney found himself in a starter's role for the first time ever? Not that I have confidence that he could handle it, but given the other available options, you have to at least ask the question, could Curtis McElhaney be the Hurricanes' first choice? Wow. So you'll have to watch closely because I feel like this Carolina team could be good. They need to learn how to stop a puck. They've got three options right now. Here's another fun possibility. What if uh, Darling comes back and then Carolina decides they want to hold McElhenney, so they wave Morozik, and then the Leafs pick up Morozik. They claim him off of waivers because Garrett Sparks had a bad game last game. And then all of a sudden it's like the Leafs and Carolina swap backups. I feel like that's potentially a possibility, which would be a lot of fun. It would be funny. And one other interesting piece of this whole puzzle is that Carolina had first shot at the waiver wire the day that McElhaney and Pickard were both waived, right? It was the same day. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was October 2nd. And they chose McElhaney. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of that, really. I, I guess they were thinking that Darling or Morazic was going to be able to hold on. But if they saw what Morazic had done so far, I wonder if they would have uh, rolled the dice on Pickard. I don't know why you're saying that. I mean, McElhenney was the backup last year and Pickard was in the minors. I feel like the common consensus is McElhenney is the better goalie than Calvin Pickard. But we'll talk about Calvin Pickard in a bit. I'm surprised that that's what stumped you out of this whole thing. But yeah, <laughs> interesting goalie situation. Brian, clearly it is complicated for goalies to stop the puck in Carolina. You know what else is complicated? Getting online tickets can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. And that's why we're proud to announce that we are being sponsored in for this episode by our friends over at SeatGeek because they are the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. I just took a look at Maple Leafs tickets, see what I can get on SeatGeek. By the way, like people outside of Toronto care a lot less about hockey. Did you know that, Brian? You could get tickets to the game against Dallas tomorrow, apparently, for like $10. Meanwhile, to get a game, a Leafs game in Toronto, you're looking at least $100, which is still actually a good deal. I'm seeing $94 to see the Kings next Monday. I actually have uh, plans to go to a bar with friends, but maybe if that falls through, I'll check out SeatGeek because I could go to this game and it's super easy. So, if you are listening to this show, what, what else can I say about SeatGeek? I have the app on my phone. It's the easiest way I found to shop for tickets. I actually just used SeatGeek to buy tickets recently to some Just for Laughs shows as they came into town. A lot of fun. It's great. So, hey, and if you're a listener of Keeping Carlson, you could get a really nice discount just by being our listener. We are already telling you that you can find great prices there. But how about 20 extra dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase? Just download the SeatGeek app. Enter the promo code KEEPING today. That's promo code KEEPING for $20 off your first SeatGeek. Geek purchase, SeatGeek, life's an event. event. We have the tickets. Oh man, you had to swoop in there. <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to profess my my admiration for SeatGeek as well. I thought oh. it would be fun. To, I thought you'd also follow me to the second half of the slogan. Okay, life's an event. We have the tickets. That's a fine slogan. Last year they didn't give us a slogan. I was going with "Be a geek, get a seat." <laughs> I guess I don't even know if they listened to that because if they did, they would have used it. But I guess whatever. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Fine, Brian. So we were just talking about that whole situation with the Leafs dropping McElhenney and Pickard. So the Leafs 
dropped Pickard as well as McElhenney. And the team that picked up Calvin Pickard was the Philadelphia Flyers. Just like Carolina, Philly's also in need of a short-term backup with Neuverth on the shelf. And here's a hot take. It won't be short-term because Neuverth is always injured. He might come back, but he'll just get injured again. So I think there's a decent chance that Calvin Pickard has a bit of a stretch in the NHL backing up Brian Elliott. Elliott was good in his first game. Uh, in Vegas, he stopped 23 of 25 shots for a 5-2 win. He wasn't as good against Colorado on Saturday. He led in four goals out of 30 shots in a 5-2 loss. Is there any thought on if Pickard can challenge Elliott while Neuverth is out? Like, have you considered this at all? I remember back in the day, we used to talk about how Calvin Pickard was a pretty decent backup goalie in Colorado. Varlamov would get injured every once in a while, and Pickard would really hold the fort down until Varlamov came back. Philly has a back-to-back on Tuesday and Wednesday next week. They play San Jose and Ottawa. So I'd imagine Pickard will get that Ottawa game. So definitely keep him in mind as a potential streamer at the least, even if you don't think that he's going to challenge Brian Elliott. I don't know about the hotness of your Neuverth take. Like he's still out short term, but there just might be several short terms for which he's out. Uh, Potato, potato, I suppose. Going back to Calvin Pickard, uh, the big thing in Philadelphia is that I I don't think any Philadelphia Flyers goaltender is capable of having a stronghold on the number one job. It's one of these situations where I imagine that the team's starting goalie tendencies could be in flux all year long. And Pickard seems like a reasonable challenger to add to the fray. He was very good as a backup over two seasons in Colorado. As you mentioned, Elon, though, he really faltered when handed the reins for good. He put up just a 904 save percentage over 50 games played two seasons ago. But that was a very problematic Colorado Avalanche team as well. So perhaps it doesn't hang completely on him. He spent his age 25 season winning hearts and minds of Leafs fans with his pretty good play for the AHL Marlies. And I think there's still the possibility that Pickard is a better option some nights, some nights than Elliot or Neuver. So we're going to just have to see what happens. I don't know how Philadelphia really keeps all three around for long since Neuverth could be back in about a week's time. And then something is going to have to give unless Philadelphia is as confident as you are that he's just going to get injured again, in which case, why not keep all three goalies? My best guess is that Pickard gets waived again and maybe someone like Los Angeles, Chicago, or even Carolina makes a claim on him. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know what the waiver priority order was if Philly got Pickard and a whole bunch of other teams were champing at the bit to get him if they could have. But we'll have to see. For now, he's on the team. He's going to get that start against Ottawa, which isn't a bad team to start against. Even though Ottawa, they scored a few goals. They got three past Tuka Rask today. But anyway, yeah, keep an eye on him. Neuverth, by the way, isn't the only injured player in Philly right now. James Van Riemsdyk suffered a knee injury in Saturday's game in the first period. He didn't return. News came out today that he's going to miss five to six weeks. So that sucks for James Van Riemsdyk and his new stint on the Philadelphia Flyers. Oscar Lindblom took his spot on line two with Voracek and Nolan Patrick. Would you say that Lindblom is worth a stream in like a deep league while he's there? Or is he not even on your radar at all? Like Those are two really nice line mates to have. So Oscar Lindblom, for those not familiar, 22-year-old Swede. He was a fifth-round pick in 2014 who saw his first NHL action last year scoring, well, not much. Two goals, four assists for six points in 26 games. Nothing to really acknowledge in the shots department either. But Elon, I need to sort of correct something that you just said. Lindblom didn't take James Van Riemsdyk's spot with Nolan Patrick and Voracek because it was always Lindblom's. I hope I'm saying his name right. I'm saying it so many times. He's played, anyway, Oscar Lindblom has played both games this season with Patrick and Voracek, which is exactly where he played pretty much all of his 26 games last season. Well, then Reamsdyke 
was playing with Simmons and Vorobiev on like sort of a third line in Philadelphia. So Van Riemsdyk being out of the lineup doesn't really change Lindblom's even strength deployment at all. Although it's worth noting that he is actually playing 90 seconds less than he did last season, which is precisely how much power play time Lindblom has lost with Van Riemsdyk in the lineup. So perhaps with Van Riemsdyk out, Oscar, I'm tired of saying Lindblom, gets that back. So he could be a good deep waiver option, but not someone you need to reach out and grab in most leagues just yet. In deeper leagues with little roster churning, though, Oscar could very well be worth a shot. Oh, but actually, I, I also uh, I, I wrote all that before I realized. I saw an update just a couple hours before we recorded this that says the top six in Philly may indeed shake out differently next game with Voracek, Giroud, and Couturier on the top line and Konechny, Patrick, and Limblom on the second line. Wayne Simmons still curiously missing from the top six in that configuration. We'll see what they show in their next game. Oh man, that would not be great for Travis Konechny, who's really feasted on that top line. You don't want to go down to Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom, but hey, that would be a really exciting line with Voracek, Giroud, and Couturier. Very interesting, Brian. I hadn't seen that. You're doing my job here. Okay. Also, another thing that didn't change with JVR being injured is the top power play, because we were actually surprised to see that the Flyers didn't change the top power play with JVR coming in. We assumed he would maybe bump Wayne Simmons from the top spot, but no, they kept it the same as last year with Simmons and Giroud and Voracek and Couturier and Ghost Bear, and it's doing well. Like Simmons has started the season super strong. Two goals, one of them on the power play against Vegas. He also had seven hits and four shots in that game. Nothing against Colorado, but he did have four shots and a hit. We were pretty down on Simmons over the summer, not even as much because of his 46 points last season, which we excused by his injury troubles. And he said, okay, he'll be healthy now. But because we were worried about JVR coming in and bumping him from all these spots, now that he's still on the top power play and finally healthy, do you think Simmons can go back to being the 55 to 60 point multi-category beast that everyone used to think he was like before last season? I'm going to go 55 points for Wayne Simmons, and that not only accounts for the skill that he does still have, but also the possibility that Simmons will one day find himself off the top power play, maybe into the top six, though it seems like there's still a lot fluctuating within the top nine in Philly, especially with Van Riemsdyk out. It's been a really interesting turn of events, though, that JVR came to Philly and Simmons stayed on the top power play and played on the line with Van Riemsdyk at even strength. Elon, we went through so many permutations of what could possibly happen when Van Riemsdyk went to Philly, and that was not one of them. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I wonder how much time we wasted over the summer trying to come up with lines that ended up not being the case. Like, I'm pretty sure that we landed on James Neal on line one in Calgary. So who knows? We try our best to fill the time. Now we've got great content that's going to be super accurate for you all season long. I definitely, the summer series was fun, but I love the regular season. I'm so happy that we're in it. By the way, on Philly, and speaking of these bangers players, Radko Gudas was healthy scratch versus Colorado on Saturday. So it looks like we may need to forget about him as like a bangers mainstay until he proves us otherwise. Used to be a guy that we'd always say, oh yeah, add him in your leagues if they count hits and blocks because he's going to be a killer for you. But if he's not even necessarily going to play every game, that's a concern. Robert Hag is the new Philadelphia depth defenseman hotness. Five shots, eight hits, three blocks, and somehow two points through two games played. I say somehow two points because Hag had just nine points in 70 games last season. So don't expect that to continue, but the peripherals could be real given his top four role. Very interesting. Yeah, keep your eyes on Robert Hag. And Brian, so everyone who drafted Simmons in their bangers league last year 
wished in hindsight that they drafted last year's true bangers superstar Dustin Brown. But now Brown and Simmons are flipped once again with Brown being one on the IR, just like Simmons was all of last year. But now Dustin Brown is injured. He's got a broken finger. John Stevens said on October 5th that he'd be at weeks and not months. So that's encouraging. But still, Brown was slated to play with Kovatar and Kovalchuk on the top line. And that would have been a really good spot for him and give him a decent chance to repeat his 60-point season, 60-plus point season, which is something that you know no one was expecting going into the year. If he ended up going undrafted in your league and you have an IR spot, I feel like you've got to stash Dustin Brown, right? Especially if your league is counting the shots and the hits. He could be really valuable when he comes back, which shouldn't be too, too long. Yeah, absolutely. Stash Dustin Brown, not even a question. You don't have a lot to lose by doing that unless you're in a really shallow league where guys like Dustin Brown are readily available anyway, then don't stash. But in all likelihood, do stash. Okay, yeah, but anything to Alex Ayafalo, who's gotten Dustin Brown's line one spot, no power play time, but he scored yesterday in the 4-2 win over Detroit. He got an assist in the season opener versus San Jose. So, hey, Alex Ayafalo, point per game. Andre Kopitar is looking good. Kovalchuk seems good. Uh, but so like, I feel like it's a good spot to be and you've got to keep your eye on Alex Ayafalo, right? Like more so than Oscar Lindblom, I would assume. Uh, you might assume that, but Ayafalo played almost his entire season last year with Dustin Brown and Andre Kopitar and that got him nine goals, 16 assists, 25 points in 75 games as a 24 year old rookie. So I'm really not expecting too much of a step beyond that from Alex Iafalo. Uh Between him and Lindblom, it's probably pretty close to even. No, especially with this line change in Philly. I'm sorry, Brian. I'm just like, no, as if like you're, <laughs> but no, come on. Especially with this line change in Philly, like you got to take the guy playing with Kopitar and sure, Kovalchuk. Sure, but he, I'm saying he did that last year and he averaged one point every three games. So okay. it wasn't all that helpful to him. What a wet blanket. He was a rookie. He was learning. Now he's better. He's 24 years old. He's- yeah, but now he's 25. But it's not only about age, it's about experience. I remember nerves. there was a moment at the start of last season where I came up with a bunch of Iofalo-themed episode titles because I was wondering if we'd get to use them because he, he started off hot in this spot. He had a few points, got our attention, and then fell off completely, even though his deployment pretty much stayed the same. Yeah, Brian, first of all, you're I think you're perpetuating this myth that we're bad at pronouncing player names because no one actually knows how his name is pronounced, but at least you got to stick to something consistent. This way you're guaranteed to be saying it wrong sometimes. Is it like I say I'm guaranteed to be saying it right at least one time. Not necessarily. Maybe it's a silent <laughs> F, but like either it's Iafalo or it's Iofalo. What do you or want? Or Iaflo. Okay. Well, I'm going to go Iofalo unless I hear otherwise. If there's any Kings fans out there, please tweet at us at Kevin Carlson and let us know how to pronounce <laughs> this guy's name. Biafra. Okay, I uh, follow. That could be like a music themed. You know, it's like walk away. I follow you into the dark. Yeah, it's good. Okay, of course, the bigger injury news out of LA right now. It's more recent, of course. Jonathan Quick was hurt at practice on Saturday. Was placed on the IR with a lower body injury. No sense of the severity yet. They say day to day, but he's on the IR. So hopefully he won't be out long. If you're a Quick owner, because you definitely reached for him in your drafts and for a good reason. Jack Campbell got the start yesterday versus Detroit. He was great. He was amazing. He stopped 36 of 38 in the 4-2 win. So even though LA maybe hasn't been the most solid team at stopping those shots, Jack Campbell was up to the task. And now, like, how fast should people be rushing to grab Campbell at this point? Like, he's the for sure guy while Quick is out as opposed to Peter Budai, right? Like, I've got to imagine, especially after this great game yesterday, we don't know how long Quick will be out. But just don't forget, a couple years ago when Budai was the backup, or actually, no, it was like Zach Koff that was the backup. And then people rushed to grab him when Quick got injured. And then they all got burned because quickly Peter Budai stole that job. But I feel like right now it's Jack Campbell. And we don't know how long Quick will be out. 
I feel like if you have an open spot, you got to grab Campbell just in case. It's a really good spot to be in. Yes, go for Jack Campbell if he's not already gone. He seemed to get snapped up really quick in a lot of leagues. I forever wanted to see what is going to happen if Jack Campbell, who, remember, Dallas drafted 11th overall in 2010, what would happen if he gets a string of NHL games to play consecutively? Campbell has played just eight NHL games to date, even though he was drafted in 2010. Five of those games also came last year. He's actually been passed by several other goalies in his draft class, including Calvin Pickard, Scott Wedgwood, Philip Grubauer, Louis Domingue, Peter Morazic, and Freddie Anderson. And last night's start for Jack Campbell pulled him equal with Zane McIntyre. So it's about time that we get a chance to see what Campbell is capable of. In his five games last year, he had a 924 save percentage. Now he's about to turn 27 years old. We'll see if Campbell's got anything that NHL teams have failed to realize or see in him or uncover from him in the last eight years. Certainly worth adding while we find out how long Quick is injured and how well the LA team in front of him can help him succeed. They're, they're not a bad team to be playing behind. Yeah, so go grab Jack Campbell for sure. We'll bring up a couple of other backups. Like, uh, you know, we've talked about Curtis McElhaney or whatever. Like, definitely want Jack Campbell over him if you get the chance because he's going to be the starter for however long that quick is injured. Let's jump over now to this Detroit team that Campbell stymied yesterday. Dylan Larkin is doing great, as we predicted. He has three points in two games so far. But I want to talk about the always forgotten Gustav Nyquist, who was once again, he's once again found himself on the top line and top power play this year with Larkin instead of Zetterberg. But great deployment for Nyquist. Which I feel like no one was talking about over the summer. Everyone was talking about guys like Tyler Bertuzzi and Athanasiu and whatever. But Nyquist, he had two assists in the season opener versus Columbus. One assist yesterday. Two of these three assists have been on the power play. So he's definitely taking advantage of his time with the man advantage. Is Nyquist a potentially sneaky ad at this point? Like I was saying, we talked about guys like Bertuzzi and Athanasiu recently. Like, But is Nyquist actually the third best forward owned on Detroit right now after Larkin and Mantha? Maybe even closer to Mantha than most would expect. Like, if anything, like if you've got a couple free agents and you're like, let's say Nyquist and Fur land are out there i'm just throwing names at you like i just want to know how good is gustav nyquist is he like a must add right now or a basic guy that you leave in free agency because he's had good deployment before just like i have follow but hasn't really capitalized on it i wouldn't say just like i have follow in fact i have a i have a comparison to make in a minute but i'll say that my difficulty with gustav nyquist is that he was essentially in this exact same deployment last season, playing with Henrik Zetterberg the whole year on top line and top power play. And Nyquist did like nothing with that. Very pedestrian, 21 goals, 19 assists for 40 points in 82 games, 213 shots, which is okay, but still very pedestrian with those scoring numbers. But what could be good for Nyquist is that maybe... 2018-19 Dylan Larkin proves to be an upgrade on 17-18 Zetterberg. And of course, it seems pretty likely that 18-19 Mantha is an upgrade of 17-18 Mantha. So what I'm saying here is that I don't necessarily expect Nyquist to be a game breaker on his own or find a new level in his game, but perhaps his apparently identical deployment is actually an improvement given the guys who are going to be around him to help create offense. Nyquist did have a dip in his IPP and on ice shooting percentage last year. That makes me think 40 points wasn't quite fair. So the question you want to ask with Nyquist is, can he get to 50? He's almost like an Elias Lindholm type. That's the comparison I want to make. Although the difference with Nyquist is that at 29 years old, we can more confidently say that we've seen Nyquist's ceiling, which was 54 points back as a 25-year-old. So I think that even in the best-case scenario for Nyquist, keeping this deployment and having a better Larkin and a better Mantha to play with, he still is not much more than a 50-point player. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, it sounds like you're into him. Okay, Nyquist versus Furline. Just to get that exact baseline, who would you want right now as a free agent stream? Uh, that's a tough one. I'm going to go Furline while that top line in Carolina is clicking. Because if Nyquist is available now, he's probably going to be available later. I guess, okay. I and mean, I guess Aho is better than Larkin. I think the Dylan Larkin, less, like, we uh, were really high on him in our almanac that we did over the summer. We had him, I think, for 70 points, or at least I did. Like, I'm really high on Larkin. So far, he seems to be really good taking advantage of this new deployment, being the main guy with Zetterberg gone. So I definitely wouldn't say Nyquist is, like, capped at 50 points. I feel like if you're playing with a potential 70-point guy on the top line and power play, you could always get more. But yeah, a lot could go right. And also, a lot could go wrong. He could get changed to a different line. So who knows? Definitely a guy you want to have on your radar at the very least. Yeah, I'll say that Nyquist feels like he has the higher floor, or at least the more certain floor compared to Michael Furland. So he's he's the better conservative play, but if you know you're going to be turning a roster spot, doing a lot of streams, and Furland is probably the hotter guy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Furland could easily be bumped to the third line. He's not on the top power play, so he could become completely useless with a snap of a finger. Nyquist is going to stay in that top six for sure. Okay, Brian, I also got to ask you, who is Dennis Chalowski with Trevor Daly injured yesterday? Mike Green and Cronwell both already hurt. Chalowski has stepped into big minutes. He's a defenseman on Detroit. I'll, I'll at least give that part of the answer. I'll let you say everything else. But yeah, he's jumped into big minutes, top power play role with the Wings, and he's been great in his first two games. He had a goal versus Columbus and then two power play assists yesterday versus LA think he could be an impact guy this season or will he be will this be a name Chalowski that we'll all have completely forgotten come a month from now no I'm kind of into Chalowski without having much more to offer to substantiate my feelings on him I'll just say that he's looked good so far Detroit needs him and we don't know when Mike Green is back so why not go with Chalowski in the meantime his peripherals we should mention don't amount to much yet five shots over two games is pretty decent but only two blocks and no hit. So you really are sort of just hoping that he can put in a point every now and then and keep taking about two shots per game. That would be a pretty successful look for Cholowski. Uh, okay, good answer, Brian. You didn't give me your typical like Wikipedia summary of who is Dennis Cholowski. I got it here. We did that. We did that a little while ago, but you, you summarize. You go I- ahead. I think we did it on a patron cast. We got to do this now for the regular. Yeah, by the way, if you're a patron of Keeping Carlson, keepingcarlson.com slash patron, you get a bonus episode every month. We answer all your questions. We've already talked Chalowski to death. We already told everyone that he's going to be on this top power play. But yeah, he is a Canadian professional ice hockey defenseman for the Detroit Red Wings of the National Hockey League. Chalowski was drafted 20th overall by the Red Wings in the 2016 NHL entry draft. He's 20 years old. So yeah, he's a first round pick. So the, the the line that we shared or that I shared whenever I dug into him, I feel like it was on an actual episode, Elon. But anyway, he had uh, what thirty nine plus twenty seven is sixty six points in sixty nine games in the WHL last year, which was his final junior season. This is his first pro season period. Like he hasn't even played in the AHL, or he, he played one game back in twenty sixteen seventeen. He was a plus one. So good for him. Anyway, he has an offensive pedigree and we'll see how well it can translate to the NHL. Yeah, and he's not a nobody. He was picked in the first round. So he's not like one of these guys that's coming in out of nowhere and surprising. Like he has the pedigree to be good. Okay, while Chalowski has been racking up the power play points in Detroit, no defenseman has had a great chance of doing that in Florida, at least for their first game versus Tampa on Saturday, as their coach Bob Bugner decided to run a five forward top power play. Something I don't recall ever seeing in the history of keeping Carlson. They went with Hoffman, Barkov, Huberdo, Dadanov, and Trocek on the top power play. No Yandel, no Ekplad. That power play, that 
all forward top power play. It went over five, and the Panthers let in a third period Anthony Sorelli shorthanded goal. So perhaps this experiment will be short lived. I'm curious, to know, like, what's your sense of this? Are they going to try this again, or the fact that they couldn't score and they let in a shorthanded goal is that a sign that they're going to get Yandel back in there soon? I, I'm a Yandel owner. I want to know this. I'm nervous. <laughs> Yeah, my sense is that allowing a shorthanded goal in their very first game with this setup, and also not just that, but going 0 for 5 on the power play with this setup offers some pretty good reason to not really get too comfortable with it. I love, I'll, I'll say it, I love that Florida's trying something new, though. We need more interesting looks and innovation in the NHL like this. I'm just not sure that this is the right way to go about it. Keep in mind that Keith Yandel has been a very good power play quarterback over the course of his career. And I figure that Yandel knows how to play that point and run a power play better than any of the forward options they want to try there. So I'm going to suggest that Yandel owners shouldn't panic and ex- and should expect things to get back to normal before too long. Elon, I have a question for you. As a Keith Yandel owner, are you more concerned than you think a Dougie Hamilton owner should be? Like if you own which owning which player would cause you more concern right now? Oh, I think that I'm less concerned about Yandel. Like, I feel like this is a weird experiment. Who knows how long it'll last. In Carolina, like, he could just be the second power play quarterback, like, the whole time. I just feel like Yandel has an easier path to the top power play. Uh, Yeah, like, overall, I don't know who I'd want more because Hamilton also helps you with some peripherals. But I think right now, yeah, I'm not too nervous as a Yandel owner. Like, if this happens 10 games in and Yandel's not getting any power play points at all, then maybe I'll start getting concerned. But right now, especially since it didn't even go well. Though it is just one game, super small sample size. Maybe they'll go five for five uh, in Florida's next game. By the way, how frustrating is it to have some Florida players? I've got uh, Bjugstad and Dadanov in one league. I've Yandel in another. They've only played one game. We've been talking about some other teams that have played three games. I hate when the schedule... Just keep the schedule even. It makes it so much easier to play fantasy, especially in a weekly league. Anyways, do you agree with me? Are you less concerned about Yandel than Hamilton? I'm not concerned a whole lot about either one of them, but I do. I, I, I can get with you in thinking that things are going to start looking better for Yandel, maybe a little earlier than they do before uh, for Hamilton. Okay, so just like in LA, the big news for Florida is they have a goalie injury. Roberto Luongo had to leave the game midway with a knee injury, and he was put on injury reserve yesterday. He's expected to miss two to four weeks with a grade one MCL injury. I guess that is the pitfall with drafting a 39-year-old goalie. I'm definitely feeling the pain right now as I got sniped for Jack Campbell in a league where I have Roberto Luongo. It's very frustrating in ESPN. You can't have that IR plus like on Yahoo. So I, I was waiting for Luongo to go on to IR. And I, I probably should just drop someone else to get Jack Campbell because I'm in a little bit of trouble in net. So word to the wise. You got to jump, especially if you have a goalie injury, you got to maybe jump on those other guys. Anyway, word is it's not especially serious for Roberto Luongo. So hopefully he'll be back. Yeah, they say two to four weeks, hopefully closer to two weeks. In the meantime, James Reimer came in to relieve Luongo and he stopped 15 to 16 shots uh, before losing in the shutout. So Brian, like at this point, who would you be more excited to own right now between James Reimer and Jack Campbell? Like, let's say you've got your two starting goalies. You're fine. Let's say you have James Reimer as your third goalie. Jack Campbell's still out there. Would you make that swap or do you think Reimer is the better bet? Like, I'm, I feel like Jonathan Quick's probably also going to be out like two to four weeks. It seems like a similar prognosis from what we've heard about Jonathan Quick, which isn't a lot. Yeah, we haven't heard a lot, but but it seems like that is the going prognosis for goalies right now. I, I think it was the same thing for Darling and for Crawford. We might be looking at the same thing. Anyway, it's a great question between Reimer and Campbell. I actually feel like it's moot 
in a lot of leagues, though, because Reimer was drafted in every one of the leagues I'm in under the assumption that a Luongo injury like this was bound to happen at some point or there'd be a lot of competition for starts in Florida. So Campbell is probably the only available option for most, but we'll pretend that both are available. Campbell's probably the riskier choice. I'd probably prefer Reimer knowing that he's likely to keep getting starts rather than not knowing how much leash Jack Campbell has and how long before he burns whatever length of it there is. Not to sound pessimistic or anything, but just saying he I have no idea how many chances Jack Campbell is going to get should one or two nights go sideways while I feel like Reimer, but we've seen him blow it several times in a row before and still be given the crease because there just isn't much of another option. Elon, who would you pick between Reimer and Campbell? I guess Reimer. Like, especially because you want to think a little bit long-term, and Reimer's probably going to get more starts, even when both of the starting goalies are back. But, you know, it, it, it depends on the situation. Like, I would probably rather have Campbell, like, for just the next week or two, while we're guaranteed that Campbell's going to be the starter. But like I said, there's a lot more risk there, right? Like, but Florida is a good team. Reimer, like, like you said, like, he's been known to blow it for a while. He's also been known to go on really amazing hot stretches. So just keep that in mind when you're playing James Reimer. And for both of these goalies they might be really good starts in daily fantasy leagues like on FanDuel so why don't we take a second actually to thank another sponsor for this week's episode which are our friends over at FanDuel FanDuel is like the wait is over hockey's back which means daily fantasy on FanDuel fantasy hockey for everyday fans like anyone can play this game there's new contests starting every day you play whenever you want something for everyone lots of contests to choose from starting at just one dollar super easy you pick a contest you choose your team. You got a budget. You fill in your team based on that budget and you watch your score in real time. It's all over in just one night. And you can have a lot of fun, right? We have a Keeping Carlson Fan Duel League. I'll let people know. I'll, I'll throw to you to let people know how to join it. But we had a little test run last week. I set my team. It was for Wednesday, the first day of the season. And what do you know? I won. How about that? I filled my team with Kuznetsov and Ovechkin, who were part of that huge Washington 7-0 game. I, I took my cue from Bradley, who did the same thing for that playoff pool that we were talking about at the start of the show. I also had Austin Matthews, who was great in the game against Montreal. Austin Matthews, by the way, has had such an amazing start to the season. Anyway, Brian, look at your team. It's actually like not that different. Like I actually had a few whiffs, too. I had Marner and Troy Terry, who both did nothing. But I guess it worked out in the end. And very high. But it's a lot of fun, because you get to pick your players, and then you cheer for these guys. You know, like... A lot of people, you know, didn't get to draft, especially if you're a Leafs fan, you didn't get to draft someone like John Tavares or Mitch Marner in your draft because they were taken so early by other people who also love the Leafs. So this is your opportunity to have these guys and cheer for them in fantasy. Uh, Brian, so we're going to be doing another one of these contests, right? We are going to have another one of these contests. It's going to be a weekly thing, and we invite you all to join us. Our contest runs every Tuesday night, and registration opens uh, Tuesday, probably around 10 a.m. Eastern. You're wondering how to join. All you need to do is go to fanduel.com slash Carlson, like Eric, not John, fanduel.com slash Carlson. And until Tuesday, so we're recording this on a Monday. If you're hearing this before the end of Tuesday, new users get a $20 deposit bonus when you make your first deposit on FanDuel via our link. So go to fanduel.com slash Carlson, sign up, make a deposit. You'll get a $20 new user bonus. After that, it's a smaller bonus. Yeah, it's pretty good that you're going to get that $20 bonus because you're probably going to lose that money playing against me because I'm apparently amazing at this now. But yeah, join us. really bad last year, though. I know. I learned my lessons. I'm coming in strong <laughs> yeah. for the next year. I'm going to copy what Bradley does. So uh, Bradley, let me know what to do next. Okay. Get the bonus. Come in. Uh, play with us week after week in our listener contests. Be so much fun. It'll be fun. Okay. So. Fandle.com slash Carlson.
Okay, everyone got that? Good, because we need to talk about more players that you might want to pick for your FanDuel team. Okay, so Luongo isn't the only 39-year-old on the IR right now in the NHL. Joe Thornton has an infection in his knee. He's going to miss some time as well. It's apparently not too badly. They were worried there was going to be structural damage, but no, because this is the surgically repaired knee. No, it got in an infection. It got inflamed. It's kind of kind of weird, but he apparently will be fine sometime soon. Still, the Sharks had been rolling some interesting lines even before the Thornton injury. They had Evander Kane all the way down on line three with Antti Suomela and Eunice Donskoy. Timo Meyer was with the Joes on the top line, and Couture, Hurdle, and LeBanc were making up the second line. The deployment certainly hasn't hurt Evander Kane, even though he's been on the third line. He scored a goal on five shots in both, in each of San Jose's games so far. And I wrote this this morning. San Jose played a game this afternoon, and they were terrible, right? They lost 4 nothing to the Islanders. So obviously Evander Kane didn't keep that goal-scoring streak up. I would have expected Kane to get back on the top line with Thornton hurt, but where does Melker Carlson was going to be the one playing on the top line with Pavelski and Meyer. And that is what happened today. And I don't think it's going to last because like I said, they did get shut out by the Islanders, but yeah, it was Melker Carlson with Meyer and Pavelski and Couture with Hurdle and LeBanc and Kane still on that third line. So San Jose has definitely got to figure something out. Like also where's Eric Carlson. He was silent today. He was a minus three. I'm in a league that still counts plus minus. He gave me minus points. I picked him in the first round. So let's go. EK six, like overall this whole San Jose team just doesn't seem like they've clicked yet with this new lineup obviously doesn't help now that Thornton is injured the one guy who really benefits I think from Thornton being injured is Tomash Hurdle who has joined the top power play with Pavelski Couture Burns and Carlson though I wonder if that changes after a shutout like today anyways Brian I promise to only do this once max per show because I know you hate it but can we get a quick ranking of Sharks forwards to own at this point in standard leagues like I feel like it's pretty obvious that you have Pavelski and Couture as the top two probably in that order then I'd be interested to hear what you think about Evander Kane versus Tomash Hurdle at this point because we've got Hurdle on a better line and a better power play but Evander Kane you know scored those two goals he's like a bigger name and then we still have like guys like Melker Carlson LeBanc and Meyer who are all in the top six right now what I'm curious like, of those three groups do I have them grouped correctly into those three different tiers and then what do you think about the rankings in, in each of those tiers yeah, I think so. So Pavelski, Couture, I'm with you there. Evander Kane is probably my next guy. Then Tomas Hurdle, Timo Meyer. I would actually have Timo Meyer closer to Tomas Hurdle if we're tiering them, although I know that's not quite where you land on Timo Meyer, but that's where I'm at right now. And with Thornton out, it seems like Meyer could be a little more comfortable in where he's staying on the top line and then Kevin LeBanc and then Melker Carlson, who we really haven't gotten to see in this kind of role a whole lot in the past. So that's how I would rank them. Pavelski, Couture, Kane, Hurdle, Meyer, LeBanc, Melker. I think San Jose is going for a balanced look and are taking advantage of the fact that for the first time in a while, they can roll three good lines and they're using Evander Kane to be able to do that, to have a top nine that can threaten the other team to score goals anytime, well, for most of the game, essentially, whenever the fourth line isn't on the ice. One thing to note about Evander Kane is that he's also still averaging nearly 18 minutes of time on ice from the apparent third line, which ranks third on the entire team behind Joe Pavelski and Logan Couture. So he's still getting plenty of opportunity. As for what's going on with San Jose in general, just have to think that they they have a whole lot of new things to be working on, right? Thornton's out now. That's something to work on. Evander Kane's in, although he was there last season. Eric Carlson's in. They still, when I don't know whether a team is deserving of the performance they're getting or not, I head on over to Corsica.hockey 
and I look at uh, the team stats for expected goals. And sure enough, San Jose at even strength is in the top 10 in the league in expected goals for, although they're middle of the pack in expected power play goals for for 60 minutes, which does not compute given their personnel. But you see that they have Eric Carlson playing, like manning a position he hasn't really played from the last few years like his shots so far he has five on the power play and they're coming from like the flanks three of them are coming from inside the face-off circles whereas of course not always patrolling the blue line more often you have Brent Burns taking on a different role on that power play too so this could just be a give it time it's everything is going to be okay but if it's a, a chance for you to get one of the sharks on the cheap if you can convince someone that yeah the Sens really did themselves a favor by getting out from under Eric Carlson and his bad ankle and he's lost three steps because of it, then then go for it. Yeah, that's a good idea. If you could buy low on Carlson, maybe now is the best time to do so. And yeah, you do make a good point. Like San Jose did take 35 shots in this game today against the Islanders, but they couldn't get any by Robin Leonard. And like, what an interesting turn of events for these Islanders goalies. You've got Leonard with a shutout today. Thomas Grice has been great in his couple of games. We were worried that the Islanders didn't have the goaltending to really be competitive. But now all of a sudden, you've got two guys who are really in a horse race for who's going to be getting the starts because they've both been so great. So way to go, Leonard and Grice. And and also, though, not so great for their owners because you don't know who's going to be able to get the starts. But at least maybe these guys are better than you thought. Like maybe they'd be decent spot starts. Well, the Islanders are doing better for their goaltenders than they did last season. We mentioned, I think it was mostly on the Almanac, that the Islanders left their goalies amongst the most unprotected in the league in terms of the difficulty of shots uh, of the body of work that Halak and Grice were facing night in, night out. So far, just a few games into the season, uh, the Isles rank third in expected goals against per 60 minutes. So that would suggest that they're making life a little bit easier for their goalies. And I'm glad Grice and Lehner have been able to take advantage on two of the three nights. And good on Robin. Like, what a nice thing after Robin Lehner came out talking about his bipolar uh, diagnosis and his past addiction history and how he's coming into this season clean for the first time in like forever for him to open up this sort of like quote unquote new life with a shutout. What a, what a lovely thing to have happened. Way to go, Robin Leonard. And it'll be really fun to watch what goes on in the net for the Islanders over the next few weeks. Okay, so another top-line center injury aside from Joe Thornton, Ryan Getzlaff. He suffered a lower body injury in the third period on Saturday, did not return. This one really hurts me. I have him in two leagues, and he was looking like such an amazing steal. He had two assists in the opening game versus the Sharks. I was feeling so smart getting him so late in both of my leagues where I drafted him like especially because of uh, Anaheim's amazing off-day schedule. And now Getzlaff, we don't know exactly how long he'll be out yet, but he's not going to be playing tonight in Anaheim's game. I think it's against Detroit. Uh, just like last season, the Ducks are down a lot of players at this point early in the season. Ryan Kessler and Patrick Eves are still out. One like they're both apparently like skating, like might be back soon, but like who knows? It, they've been saying that forever. Andre Kasha is out indefinitely with a concussion, so that sucks. He's someone we were really high on going into the season. Corey Perry's out five months with a torn meniscus. So, who does that leave us with? A lot of people were excited about Troy Terry starting the season on the top line with Raquel and Getzlaff. He has no points in two games so far. Again, we're recording this before Anaheim's game tonight. So who knows? Maybe Troy Terry's going to have a hat trick, though I kind of doubt it, like, considering Anaheim doesn't really have many players. Uh, the second line of Adam Henrique, Jacob Silverberg, and Max Comtois has been great, actually, in the first two games. Silverberg has four assists in two games. Two goals for the rookie Comtois. Henrique has a goal and an assist. So that's been a really nice line. Now Henrique is being bumped to line one. It's Sam Steele, who's going to be centering Silverberg and Comtois. 
Either way, okay, here are my Anaheim Ducks questions for you now that I've given you a summary of kind of what's been going on and what we can expect moving forward with these injuries. First of all, is Jacob Silverberg finally going to have the breakout season that we've been waiting for all these years? Two of his assists are from his spot on the top power play, a place he hasn't really been much in the past. So it seems now, almost by default, he's getting on the top power play. I think since that Corey Perry injury, it was Silverberg who we assumed was going to finally get that spot. So this is a good opportunity for him that he's never had before. So that's a reason to expect him to maybe be able to go forward and also he seems to be doing fine at even strength. Okay, same question actually for Adam Henrique, especially if Getzlaff is out a while. Is Henrique a must-own in all formats? Maybe he was even before, but like especially now if he's going to be playing with Ricardo Krell. And last question, who is Max Comtois? Am I even pronouncing his name right? C-O-M-T-O-I-S. Troy Terry and Sam Steele got all the buzz during the preseason as Ducks rookies, but is Comtois actually the top Ducks rookie to own right now? He's been great in his first two games. Okay, let's take that back and begin with Jacob Silverberg, who we've mentioned this before. He's now in his age 28 season. It's his seventh year in the league. And as such, I am past expecting a breakout from Silverberg unless we see a big change in deployment. And Elon, I'm not sure this is it. Like, I I feel like you tried to frame this as one, but I don't necessarily agree with you. He's still in the middle six at even strength, though is getting a greater share of his team's power play time to start the season than he historically has. In any case, it's nice that Silverberg is surfing a wave of production to start the year, but I don't see anything to convince me that it's going to last. In his extra power play time on ice that he's suddenly been getting, Silverberg has been on the ice for two shots on goal on the power play, uh, both from his teammates, and both of them have gone in. And at even strength, two of seven shots taken with Silverberg on the ice have gone in. So Silverberg has been on the ice for nine shots on goal, and four of them have made it past the goalie, and he's happened to assist on all four of the nine shots that did turn into goals. He also has just one shot on goal himself, so I am not reading into these numbers at all and seeing, yes, sudden breakout star. Adam Henrique, I'm going to say he's not so different from Silverberg here. He's also in his 28-year-old season, ninth year in the league. You'd be crazy to be predicting a breakout to happen now. Henrique has scored uh, on the lone power play shot on goal. He's taken, assisted on another even strength goal. Of course, Henrique does have the potential to rise in the depth chart with Getzlaff out. But even then, Henrique has never topped 50 points. And that top line in Anaheim minus Getzlaff has only Ricard Raquel as like a surefire, legit NHL first liner. And to think that Henrique can just step into Getzlaff's production as he steps into Getzlaff's role is to underappreciate what Ryan Getzlaff actually does. So uh, you can stream Henrique for an increased role, but be wary of how much you're expecting him to do with it. And finally, we'll end up with Max Comtois who is a 19-year-old rookie, turns 20 in January, was drafted 50th overall by Anaheim in 2017, the second round. He led the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League's Victoriaville Tigers in scoring last season, despite missing a chunk of the year, and also finished in the top five in the queue in scoring. He ranked third in the queue in goals with 44 scored in 54 games. This is still Max Comtois. I haven't said his name in a little while. And now Comtois has scored two NHL goals on four shots with a minimal power play role. Uh, His minutes did rise from 11 minutes of ice time in game one to 16 minutes of ice in game two. But like, I'm not counting on Comtois being above uh, Terry or Steele at this point. Uh, One player who you haven't mentioned yet, Elon, on the Ducks that I might be most interested out of this group. And I can't wait for you to tell me this is rubbish. uh, Patrick Eves. He skated today. He's coming back soon. 
I did mention him. I said oh, Kessler okay. and Eves are out. Kasha has a concussion. Perry's out. Yeah. Eves has been skating apparently like for a year. No, no, that's <laughs> yeah. not true. But like, well, no, that's def- definitely not true. But it feels like, I mean, it's been a long road to recovery. And at this stage, it feels like it's still taking a long time. But hey, when he's ready to come back, I will, I will take a flyer on him before I take what I think might be a pretty boring Adam Henrique situation. Okay, uh, Matcha in the chat room is telling us that Con- Comtois, as we've been calling him, his name is Comtois. pronounced Comtois, but there's no Com- N. No, but like Comtois, like if you say it with a French accent, it sort of lends itself to that. I see. Okay, Comtois. Comtois. Well, we'll see if we have to say his name again. If we do, then we'll definitely learn it for next week. Brian, Some I feel might like- say Max is like you. Brian, I, I think you might be a little bit off on Silverberg and Henrik. We'll have to see. Like, I feel like these are not replacement level guys anymore. Like, while they're on the top power play here, like, I feel like that's a big increase in deployment, and I feel like they're going to take advantage. You could potentially get like ten extra points. Like, don't tell me that like Silverberg got two power play points on two shots while he was on the ice. So that's the reason why the power play is not a big deal. Like, usually a player playing on the top power play versus the second power play should be good for say like ten more points. All of a sudden, he goes from like a forty-five point guy to like a fifty-five point guy. That's the way I see it, anyways. Okay. Valid point. Okay. Uh, all of these injuries have yet to hurt John Gibson, who's been amazing. He stopped 72 of 74 shots so far. He had a 41 safe shutout versus Arizona on Saturday. Is John Gibson the potential early Vesna favorite for the year? I know it's super early, but I feel like he could be a really fun dark horse that maybe could have the inside track. Like, I don't know, good start. If he could stay healthy all year, I don't know. Good things could happen. And also potential fantasy Vesna favorite. He could be the most valuable player for a lot of poolies. We've talked so much about. And I'm always seems to have this off day schedule. I wonder what the deal is. I, this is at least the second year, maybe the third year in a row, where I've noticed that they are the, like the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday team. I wonder if it's a location thing or an arena deal thing. I'd like to know more about that. Yeah, it is. But it makes him super valuable because you could have three starting goalies on your team. If one of them's Gibson, then you might get most of the starts as opposed to if you have three starting goalies and only two goalie spots and all these goalies are playing on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you have a lot of tough sit start decisions to make. Yeah, Gibson looking great so far. Nice to see that Anaheim's, you know, like he's holding up even though Anaheim has everyone injured. At least their defense isn't injured, right? So that's good. Okay, now let's go to the team that couldn't score on John Gibson on Saturday, the poor Arizona Coyotes. They still haven't scored a goal at all in two games. They've taken 71 shots and they still haven't scored. Brian, like, are you concerned about that? Like, are you worried that maybe Arizona's going to have trouble scoring this year, just like they did at the start of last year? Or do all these shots make you think that they'll be fine and they're just having bad luck? Like, is it reasonable to say something like they have so many new players, they're still adjusting and that's why they're not scoring? Or is it just a matter of just like they're taking the shots, they're playing against guys like John Gibson. So, you know, bad luck. Yeah, well, when you play against a guy like John Gibson, you pretty much don't have a chance. No, that's not it. Uh, Arizona's right in the middle of the pack and expected goals for. So I'm not really concerned that something is really awry there. Uh, So I guess that's my short answer and long answer. Okay, well, in that case, let's uh, dig into this team a little bit. Last game, they were rolling lines of Stepan, Panic, and Brennan Perlini, and then Clayton Keller with Fisher and Nick Cousins. Then on the top power play, they had Stepan, Panic, Keller, Hinnestroza, and Oliver ekman Larson. So, I don't know, interesting that they're splitting up Stepan and Keller, who did really well together last year. Like, Keller had 65 points, you know, being centered by Derek Stepan. Do you think maybe now's a good time to buy low on Clayton Keller? Like, he's someone that we were super high on going to the season. Now it's two games without a point, of course, since no one on Arizona's gotten a point. 
And like, I feel like it's just a matter of time before they put him back with Derek Stepan, or I don't know, like eventually Galchenyuk will be back and then he'll hopefully play with at least one of those guys. Right now, I guess it's not the best spot for Clayton Keller to be playing with uh, Christian Fisher and Nick Cousins, but I still feel like now's a really good time to make an offer on Clayton Keller. He's got to be better than this, right? Yes, it's a great time to make an offer on Clayton Keller. I'm not worried about his production at all. Four shots in two games doesn't look awesome, but he has attempted nine shots over two games, and that looks better, even better than his shot rates last season. Uh, Not to say he's going to raise them consistently over last season, but I'm seeing this promise. Like, Keller is not snoozing out there. I think Keller's present line situation Also, because of that, Elon might be looking okay for now. I don't know that it's inevitable that he's going to change lines and go back with Stepa. And that said, if uh, the bottom line is that if goals aren't being scored, then maybe something needs to be changed up. Even if they have all the greatest underlying numbers in the world, uh, if they're not putting goals on the scoreboard, then maybe a coach is going to get impatient. So maybe he will. Maybe Rick Taggart will switch the setup. In Arizona, uh, it's not really something I feel comfortable predicting, but I do feel comfortable predicting that Clayton Keller, regardless of his place in the lineup, can succeed just fine. Okay, yeah. And also, by the way, I'm still into my like sleeper prediction for Richard Panic. Obviously, it's not looking as good as it did when I thought he'd be on a line with Stepan and Keller. But, you know, he's still on the line with Stepan, getting good minutes. He's still on the top power play. Once Arizona starts scoring some goals, I still think that Richard Panic's going to get in on some of them. So I'm not saying you have to rush to add him at this point. Maybe you could even drop him right now because no one else is going to be rushing to add him. But keep him on your watch list. I think he still has potential as maybe the third best, or I guess fourth best, Arizona Coyote own after you know, I added Galchenyuk there, of course, and then Stepan and Clayton Keller. Brian, I threw a trade offer to we uh, this week in, in our joint league. We've picked up Yaroslav Halak and Jack Campbell. You know, now we have six goalies, which is obviously way too much. I just threw a trade offer of Halak and Campbell for Clayton Keller to one of our opponents. I'm hoping that he'll take the bait on that. This is the kind of move you make. You, you, you grab Jack Campbell, even if you don't need him, and try to flip him. I don't know. Maybe it could work. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good way to make a lot of enemies, but it's also a valid tactic that, you know, you can't, in a competitive league, you cannot begrudge someone for doing. Uh, going back to Richard Penning, just for a second, Elon, you mentioned he, you still like him as a guy who can contribute. So do I. Uh, and he played almost 22 minutes in Arizona's last game, which is huge for a forward. Like those are top pairing D-man minutes. Uh, I haven't really looked into why he played almost 22 minutes, but it is a, it is at least a vote of confidence in his abilities for sure. And in those 22 minutes, he had seven shots on goal, added two hits and a block. So it can be a multi-category contributor if you get credit for those two. Yeah. All right. Keep your eye on Richard Panic. Okay. We're keeping Carlson exclusive here. We're, we're the only ones talking about it. I remember in our podcast with Dmitry Filipovich that we did last week, he was very surprised when I brought up Richard Panic to start the Arizona Coyotes talk. But that's what we do here. We dig deep. And let's go to another team now where I guess we're not going to dig super deep. We're going to start with the top line. Let's talk about another team with a bunch of new players, just like the Arizona Coyotes, the Buffalo Sabres, who overhauled their team over the summer. And while they also got shut out in their first game versus Boston, they got on the board, got the win versus the Rangers on Saturday. They also got the win today, 4-2 over Vegas. And surprisingly, it didn't take long for new Sabre Jeff Skinner to get bumped from the top line and top power play for other new Sabre Connor Sherry, who scored two power play goals on his unit with Eichel, Reinhardt, Ocposo, and Ristolainen on Saturday. Sherry also got a point, not on the power play, but he assisted on a Jack Eichel goal today. So uh, is Sherry someone that people need to jump on for however long that he's on this line of power play? I feel like he becomes like one of the top free agents in most leagues. We'll talk about Jeff Skinner in a little bit and how bad this is for him. Maybe you're going to say that Nas Skinner will get back there soon. But right now, Connor Sherry, like 
I was talking before about who was this? Oh, yeah, Elias Lindholm. I was saying he has this like super cushy spot on the Calgary top line. You got to also love this Buffalo top line. Like Jack Eichel is for real. He's having a great start himself. We're not going to talk about Eichel too much because everyone already knows how good he is. But I love Connor Sherry in the spot. And Sherry's a guy who has succeeded on a top line in the past, right? Just a couple years ago at Pittsburgh, he was killing it with Crosby. Last year, he totally fell off. Now, here he is playing well again, at least in these last two games. Yeah, you've got to be excited about Connor Sherry in your league. I jumped on him for my uh, championship winning cupful team. I actually spent $9 of my free agent acquisition budget, uh, or it was $8. Anyway, a, a large amount. Like usually you spend one or two bucks on most guys. I really wanted to make sure I got Connor Sherry. Turns out I didn't need to spend a dollar because no one else wanted him, which really surprised me. Anyway, I did. Uh, someone in another one of my leagues, also really did. They woke up to add him at 3 a.m. exactly, which is the instant when players who'd played the night before become available on Yahoo. And uh, Connor Sherry played again on the top line, top power play uh, tonight against Vegas. And while his shifts were occasionally shorter than line mates Eichel and Reinhardt, uh, Sherry looks like he's still holding in a pretty fantastic spot. Remember when he had 53 points in 61 games playing with Sidney Crosby? This isn't quite that but it's an avenue via which uh, Sherry can reapproach those kinds of numbers. And I'm really hoping he's going to be able to. Yeah, and then you look at Jeff Skinner, who looks like today he was playing with Ocposo and Patrick Berglund on the second line. So that's definitely a bump down for him. He, you know, like I'm, I'm very concerned because last year he wasn't that great, right? But we were saying, yeah, he was playing with Derek Ryan and Justin Williams. Now he comes to Buffalo. He's going to get to play with Ocposo. Oh, no, Ocposo. Who cares about Ocposo? No, he's going to get to play with Eichel. And we're saying, okay, and even in the worst case, if he doesn't play with Eichel, he'll play with Casey Middlestat. But Casey Middlestat hasn't even been in the top six. So all of a sudden now this line for Jeff Skinner doesn't look too great he doesn't have a point yet or i think he has an assist i'll look up that in a second brian but like yeah i'm concerned right now okay yeah six shots and goal over two games for jeff skinner still no points nothing today again uh like what do skinner owners do at this point do you hold on like or do you try to cut bait or should other people buy low like this is not how i expected things to go you try and hold on. I don't know about buy low. Although second line with Akposo and Berglund isn't so bad. And I can see him still, like he's still been making appearances on the top power play. He just hasn't really been able to lock himself into a spot. And to do that, he's going to need to beat out either Sherry or Akposo. But while that power play seems to be having some kind of success, it's probably going to be harder for Skinner to find his way there. Uh, it'll be an interesting storyline to follow, Elon. We've come a we've come a long way. I bet you didn't anticipate four days into the season after being so hyped about Skinner going to Buffalo that you'd be talking about whether it's time to cut bait. Yeah, I mean, again, another reason why the summer series is really <laughs> hard to do. Like Connor Sherry was like nothing last year. They like Buffalo got him basically for free. Like I don't even remember who they traded for. It was nobody of note. And now they get him. All of a sudden, he's their top line guy. It's just like Furland in Carolina, someone who was added to the team. You're like, okay, I, maybe he'll do something. But like, I definitely wasn't expecting this. And yeah, Jeff Skinner, it's not a great spot. And also this Casey Middlestat situation. I thought that he was going to come in, be for sure the second line center, potentially be a candidate for rookie of the year. At this point, he's been on the, the bottom line playing with i'm checking for today remy ellie and tage thompson getting like hardly any minutes so i feel like also in a one-year league for sure it's time to cut bait on casey middlestat right until something changes yeah not the way middlestat uh owners or drafters or hopers uh, wanted th- this to go you can probably let middlestat go in a one-year league at the moment though if middlestat can work his way up to center a second line 
then he'll be with Skinner Nakposo, and that would be a really great landing spot for him. And it seems possible, given that Patrick Berglund is the second-line center at the moment. That's not a huge bar to clear, although I feel like the Sabres like having someone who seems defensively responsible, uh, can play reasonable two-way game like Berglund can in that spot. Uh, Suffice to say, Middlestad is not going to be parachuted into the second line the way that a lot of middle stat high-end projectors were thinking instead he's gonna have to earn his way up and that process is starting from the bottom where he does not carry a whole lot of fantasy relevance yeah i do remember like in johnny goudreau's first season he started like not in great deployment even though we were really excited about him and then it took like 10 games and then he got onto the top line and then he like took off from there and had a really great rookie season so i wouldn't completely count middle stat out but i feel like for now you don't need to hold him in your roster again you know watch the practice lines if you see that he's getting a bump in deployment or like mid game let's say if he gets bumped up because Berglund's having a bad game then you can maybe consider adding him for the next game and we'll talk about it if and when he becomes relevant okay jeff skinner is not the only player that i was surprised to see not on his team's top power play. Same goes for Duncan Keith, who's been relegated to the second power play after the first game of the season versus Ottawa. So we were saying over the summer also that Duncan Keith, like who else is going to be on the top power play for the Hawks? But apparently after one game, they've decided it's not going to be Keith. He had no points versus Ottawa. He had no points versus St. Louis in the next game after being bumped from that spot. He then picked up three assists yesterday versus Garrett Sparks and the Toronto Maple Leafs. None of them on the power play, but hey, three assists is three assists. Brian, I assume now you must be feeling super confident that you were right and everyone else was wrong about current point per game. Duncan Keith, three assists in three games. You're trying to set me up. Obviously, I'm, I'm feeling no more confident than I was before the year began about my optimistic look on Duncan Keith because of the one good game. But at least we know it's possible. Yeah, but our, I would think if anything right now, I don't know if you can, but I'd sell high just because like, I'm concerned <laughs> that he's not even on the top power play, right? So it's been Brent yeah. Brook getting... I'll, I'll, I'll run through the other options and then okay. maybe you could talk about all the defensemen, including Keith overall. So, okay, you got Brent Seabrook. He's been getting that top power play time. Like, how did this happen? He was like such a nobody last year. Yeah, he's been playing with like a really nice looking top power play, right? Like Debrinket, Kane, Schmaltz, and Taves. Seabrook has a golden assist in three games so far, which seems decent, though when your team scores like six goals in a game, maybe you'd expect him to get in on a little more of them. Then you have Eric Gustafsson, who also has two assists or well, he, two points in three games. His are two assists. He's seeing a decent amount of power play time as well. Similar to Duncan Keith, actually, I guess on the second power play unit, Gustafsson also has five hits and five blocks. So decent for peripherals. That's over three games. Then there's also this rookie Henry Jokey Harju, who's not getting power play time at all, but he picked up two assists against St. Louis on Saturday and then three assists versus Toronto yesterday. So not a bad start to his career. Five points in three games. Also, 10 shots on goal and seven hits in those three games. So Henry Joki Harju is also a very interesting choice. How are you ranking? And I know you're going to tell me now I totally blew this name. I guess it's Yoki Harju. I see you laughing over there. But anyway, yeah. How are you ranking these Chicago D-men? Is there anyone here who's on your radar? I feel like all of them might be available in free agency for people except for Duncan Keith. I don't know if he's necessarily the best guy to own, even though he did have that nice three-assist game versus the Leafs and Garrett Sparks. So we did see Duncan Keith last year dip off and then resurface onto that top power play unit. So I I don't think just because he's been off it, like I feel like the fact that he was on it to start the season speaks louder than the fact that he has been what I imagine is temporarily removed from it. Uh, All the other Chicago D seem about equally interesting. It just depends on what you're looking for, right? Brent Seabrook is getting top power play opportunities and gives you peripherals. Eric Gustafson has less power play opportunity, but also less power play opportunity to lose 
So it seems like his floor is probably a little higher in terms of what he can contribute. Plus, he gets you peripherals as well. And then, I don't know, I'm, I'm saying it, Yogi Harju. I actually watched two Hawks games this season already, and I guess I was not paying close enough attention, or it, it just wiped my brain when I heard your attempt uh, for how to say his name. Anyway, Yogi Harju also helps you with peripherals with an emphasis on shots on goal. So between all those three, and I guess four if you're including Duncan Keith, pick your flavor. Pick the guy that you think is going to help your team the most. It, it could be different for every single owner. Yeah, I feel like Yoki Harju is going to be the one that most people are excited about just because he overall has five points in three games, which is more points than all these other defensemen. But I don't know. Like I would maybe put a $0 bid on him in the couple if I needed a defenseman. But if someone else wants to bid big on him, I'd probably be just as happy with Gustafsson or Seabrook if they're available as well. Or maybe a defenseman on another team, though. Yeah, Chicago's scoring some goals. And Brian, we have to talk about this. Like They've scored 15 goals in three games so far. There's a lot of forwards getting in on this offense. So I'll just run down how great everyone has been. Jonathan Taze has five goals and one assist. Five goals in three games. Seems to definitely be clicking with Alex Dabrinkit on their line with lately uh, Dominic Cahoon. I don't know how long Cahoon will stay there, but Dabrinkit, like he has two goals and two assists himself in these three games. Like Dabrinkit is clearly really, really good. And Taze is definitely enjoying playing with him. And now with like Brandon Saad last year, they didn't really click at all. Brett in the Facebook group is calling it the Taze-naissance, which I love. Do you think that Taze can go back to being like, you know, the 65 point guy rather than the less than 60 he's been putting up? lately or is now just like the time to sell high on Jonathan Taves because there's no way he can keep this up and I'll also bring up so Alex to bring it I feel like he's gonna have a huge season I feel like he like don't sell at all like is it a hot take for me to say that Alex to bring it is the player on Chicago that I'd want second after Patrick Kane you mean Alex to bring it and I, I don't think that's too hot a take it seems like his ceiling is the second highest. I had him projected behind both Taves and Saad, but I expect he's going to score more goals than both of them, if not more points. As for Jonathan Taves, he has five goals on 13 shots in three games, and I'm a lot less interested in those five goals, as wonderful as they've been for his fantasy owners, than I am interested in those 13 shots. That shot volume has Jonathan Taves pacing for 355 shots on goal, which would be very out of character for Jonathan Tapes, who has finished between 180 and 210 shots on goal in each of the last five seasons. Okay, 211 shots on goal, but I wanted to keep it simple. And then I went and did that. Anyway, it's even weirder that Taves's shot outburst is coming with Alex Debrinkett on his line. Like we definitely would have guessed that Debrinkett would be the bigger trigger man here. Anywho, uh, your question was whether Taves can get back up to 65 points, right? And I, I mean, if he does just what we expected him to do from here on out for the rest of the season, uh, then this early outburst would be enough to get Taves uh, up to 65, even if he doesn't sustain quite what he's been doing already. But I figure the better way to frame it, right, is to figure, uh, can Jonathan Taves pace for 65 the rest of the way? I'm still not convinced that's going to be the case, but I will be watching to see if Taves' shot and shot attempt rates stay as high as they have been through three games. Yeah, like it's it's very exciting right now. Of course, he's taken a lot of shots. One of the games was against Ottawa. 
one of the games was against Toronto and Toronto is notorious for being like wide open early in the season. So I don't know like how much stock you could put. Of course, it's also just a three game sample size. No matter who they've been playing, you don't want to put too much stock in it. Yeah, but very interesting. I'm loving Alex DeBrinkett and Jonathan Taze right along with him. Great. I think he could definitely approach, like you say, like at least be close to 65, 60, 65, like a lot more upside now that we're really seeing that Alex DeBrinkett seems to be like as big a star as we expect him to be. Then, of course, you also have the other line. Patrick Kane's got four goals and two assists playing with Nick Schmaltz, who has four assists. Schmaltz could still be a free agent in your league. He's actually a free agent in one of our leagues, Brian. And it's like a league where there's a, like all these points for your hits and your and your shots and like goals are worth more than assists. So like Schmaltz, I guess, isn't as interesting, but I feel like he's going to have a breakout season. Like he's doing well. He's on this top power play. He's playing with Patrick Kane. I know he did it last year, but I don't know. Last year was such a disaster for Chicago. And it seems like they're having a nice start this year. Maybe they could keep it together. And I feel like Schmaltz could be the type of guy that surprises a lot of us. He maybe gets 65 to 70 points himself. Obviously, it depends how great Patrick Kane can be, but we all know that Patrick Kane can really carry a line, and Schmaltz seems to be you know, capable of going there with him. I'm into Schmaltz this year. I, I, I guess that's all I really have to add or say. I just reinforce what you said about Nick Schmaltz. He is not free agent fodder. He should be rostered, absolutely. Yeah, and then there's, of course, Corey Crawford. Like, if Corey Crawford is available in your league, it might be time to jump on him. He has medical clearance to play, and Chicago is looking like a team so far. Only three games, but if they're a team that can score some goals, then Corey Crawford is someone who can stop some pucks. So you put that together, and all of a sudden, you could have a goalie that could actually win some games. So if Corey Crawford is somehow in free agency, or if maybe you can make an offer to the Crawford owner who doesn't want to hold him while he's still recovering from his injury, he's gotten medical clearance, right? So what else do you need? Uh, yeah, I, the Blackhawks are also looking like a team that can give up a lot of goals, although to their credit, uh, they can blame Cam Ward for a fair amount of their uh, misfortune. Uh, they're doing all right, like in terms of expected goals against they're they're hanging into the middle of the pack, which is better than I would have guessed at this point. So Corey Crawford is better at stopping shots than a middle-of-the-pack goalie. So even if the Blackhawks can protect him to that extent, I'd expect Crawford can do uh, quite well. So absolutely, uh, you should have your eye on Corey Crawford if he's been forgotten because of his injury. Yeah, and I was worried that maybe like it's going to take him so long to get back. Like, concussions are so tricky. I'm like very much like pleased with this medical clearance. Now I feel like he's just going to have to get into game shape. Like how long could that take? And yeah, he's definitely like I- I'm sure that Crawford like at his best would be letting in like half the goals that Cam Ward has let in so far. Like Cam Ward is terrible. Like forget about this guy. Trade him now if you can. If anyone's interested in him. Uh, okay, so while Keith was making you look smart yesterday for Chicago, Yaroslav Halak and Tuka Rask have been doing the same for you over in Boston. When I say you. I mean, you, Brian Com, because you predicted Duncan Keith is going to have a good year. And you also predicted that Tuka Rask might struggle and Yaroslav Halak might be a bit more of a risk to Rask's starts than a lot of people think. And hey, Rack, he got, Rask, he got rocked against Washington last Wednesday, first day of the season. He led in five goals on 19 shots before getting pulled. Halak finished that game, was fine. Then he started the next game against Buffalo and he got a 32 save shutout. Then we have today where Tuka Rask played against the Ottawa Senators, which shouldn't be the toughest of opponents. And he got the win. It was 6-3 for Boston. But it's not as if Rask was especially great. He stopped uh, 28 shots. Or no, he, he had 28 saves out of 31 shots. It's a 9.03 save percentage. He got the win, like I said, like better than his first game. But at the same time, like, yeah, we're starting to get to a point where if Halak 
is going to play well. And if Rask is going to struggle, maybe you were right all along. I feel like at the very least, Yaroslav Halak should not be a free agent in your league because a goalie that's going to play games for the Boston Bruins is going to get you a lot of wins. We just saw today how dominant that top line could be Bergeron, like Pasternak, Marshall, like they all had such great games. It's going to continue happening. You want to have the goalie playing and it might not be Tuka Rask for as many games as you may have thought when you drafted him. So yeah, what's your take on the Boston goalie situation right now? You've heard my take and you just summarized it quite well. This is a uh, latently controversial, a latent goalie controversy that might not remain latent for too much longer. So Yaroslav Halak, is it totally legit? Like if you're in a league where all the backups are taken or most of the backups are taken, uh, you might be surprised at, or at least I posit that Yaroslav Halak is going to surprise with how many starts he's able to steal from Tuka Rask. Yeah, and Brian, like, let's say we have a new listener today. It's the first episode of the regular season. And so maybe like no one has heard all of your hot takes over the summer and in our audio almanac, which was, by the way, the first ever NHL audio almanac ever made. We're very proud of it. But uh, yeah, like, can you just quickly summarize like what was your reasoning for why you thought Rask might not be as good as people think and Halak might be better than people think? Because you look at their numbers last year, their raw numbers. Rask had a better season, had a better save percentage. Halak was terrible. Yeah, but Rask uh, compares a lot less favorably to what he should have been able to do, what an average NHL goalie would have been able to do, given the difficulty of the shots he faced, versus Halak, who I mentioned earlier in the episode. He was playing for an Islanders team that was leaving their goalies entirely and woefully unprotected. So if you look, if you try and control for the difficulty in shots they faced, Halak was last year and has been for a few years a better goalie than Tuka Rask. All right, so thanks for that recap. And yeah, I got Halak in one of my leagues, and now I just added him out of free agency in our joint league where we now have six goalies, including Halak and Jack Campbell. So we'll have to figure out what to do there, but I'm excited about both of them right now. And yeah, Halak, we'll, we'll have to see. Like, we'll see what Boston does now for the next game. I don't know if they're considering this a success for Rask because he got the win today, or if they're like, you know, you know, Tuka, like you let him three goals. Like, obviously, we're going to score a lot of goals. So you'll get those wins, but maybe Halak would have been better. Anyway, I don't know. The other big news out of Boston is Tori Krug is injured. He's going to be out at least three weeks with an ankle injury. Charlie McAvoy jumped to the top power play, got an assist in the game versus Buffalo. There was some concern that Bakaninen would take the top power play job. Like those, there were some lines like right before the first game. It was all like it didn't matter. Like Charlie McAvoy is there. He had a great game today. Three assists versus the Sens. Clearly, like I don't think Charlie McAvoy is going to be available in your league. If he is, like yeah, definitely jump on him for as long as Tori Krug is out. But at the same time, Brian, just like we said last year, I feel like the same thing happened, or maybe it was a couple years ago. Uh, people should try to sell high on Charlie McAvoy, right? Because he's going to get a whole bunch of points over these next couple of weeks while Krug is out. And then once Krug comes back, he's going to take the top minutes and the top power play job. And then he's going to be one getting all these points. Yeah, that summarizes it pretty well. Okay, I, I feel like you're starting to get tired a little bit, but that's okay. Well, all right, let's keep going. Ryan Donato has uh, been bumped up to the second line on Boston at the start of the year. Was Danton Heinen on line two, and Donato was in the bottom six, even though he was on the top power play. But he's been bumped up to a line with Krejci and DeBrusque. And he's also, like I said, on the top power play, one of the best top power plays in the league last year. Like Spooner was there for a bit, and Rick Nash was there with, of course, Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak. Uh, but yeah, while Donato's there, you got to imagine he's worth owning. Jake DeBrusque has gotten no points so far. And I actually wrote this before today's game. So let's see what happened today. Uh, Ryan Donato, no points. Jake DeBrusque, also no points. I guess yeah, it was just all the top line today. So I'm actually surprised Donato didn't at least get in on one of the power play goals. But yeah, at this point, like we were high on DeBrusque in the summer. But now I feel like if Donato's on the same line as him, but on the top power play, I'd rather Donato, right? Is that a fair thing to suggest to maybe swap out DeBrusque for Donato if you can? 
I would. I still think Nebraska is going to have a very good season and a fantasy roster worthy season. But this time of year is all about jumping on guys, getting new bumps in deployment and seeing if it sticks and uh, subscribing to that theory. Donato's the one you want ahead of DeBrusque. If you're plucking Donato out of free agency and dropping DeBrusque, there's also a pretty good chance. I mean, no promises here, but there's a pretty good chance that DeBrusque is still going to be available as a free agent if and when you decide that you're done with Ryan Donato. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, If Donato's still available now, then obviously people in your league don't care so much about the deployment. So yeah, maybe, or though maybe people would just like look at the preseason rankings and see that DeBrusque was higher and that's why they would add him. So it really depends on what people are thinking. But I generally agree with you, Brian, that you can make that swap. And yeah, there's a lot of people we've talked about in this episode. If you have Jake DeBrusque and you've got like an Elias Lindholm or a Connor Sherry or someone out there, I think you'd rather take one of those top line, top power play guys like in this super great deployment. Uh, so the team that Boston played today was the Ottawa Senators and the Sens have surprised a little bit. They haven't been as as terrible, I guess, as we expected. Uh, so what can we say about the sense? First of all, Thomas Shabbat. Let's start with him. He had two goals and two assists in two games before today. How did Shabbat do today? I'm checking those in real time. Another assist. So obviously a great start. He's stepped into that role for Eric Carlson, being the top demon on the team, getting the top power play. And like, he's doing amazing. Like right off the bat, Brian, like defensemen are hard to find in fantasy, especially top power play guys. And Shabbat is showing that he can produce. Do people need to rush out and grab him? Or is there no way? He, like at, at the end of the day, though, this is the Ottawa Senators. How many goals can they score? So yeah, what, what's your current expectation for Shabbat like moving forward? Like forget about these first three games. How many points would you expect him to get moving forward? Like what point pace do you think he could give you? I still think 40-45 is within the realm of possibility. Going all the way back to the start of the show, which was almost two hours ago, we talked about Elias Pettersson and how uh, Brock Besser and uh, was there someone else on the power play? Oh, no, it was, I was thinking about it. I don't think I said it. And I, saw, I was thinking about how Alex Edler has Pettersson and Besser to work with on the Canucks power play, and that should be enough for him to put up some reasonable fantasy numbers. And I feel the same way about Shabbat. He's got Stone and Duchesne working on that top power play. And I think that's enough for Shabbat to be able to put up some good points from the point on the Ottawa power play. Of course, he had that beauty of a goal uh, Saturday night against Toronto uh, that got that defenseman benched in Toronto's, uh, I don't know if it was their next game or the one coming up. In any case, uh, he looks great. He looks pretty comfortable out there. Uh, remember, he has some experience from last season, so he's not a deer in the headlights, and he seems ready to take on some of this offensive responsibility. So I like him as a like I like him to score more points than Charlie McAvoy, just to reference a, a, as a benchmark that we've recently mentioned. Right, and when you say McAvoy, you mean overall. Right now, I'd still, if I could just take one for next week, I'd want McAvoy while he's on that top power play. But yeah, overall, Shabbat's definitely in a better situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so who else on the Sens, right? So you've got Duchesne and Stone. Nothing much to say about them. Uh, Brady Kachuk played his first game today. He was injured for a couple games, didn't do anything. Uh, I actually picked him up in one league, and I totally regret it. I should have taken Ryan Dezingle, who scored two goals today on seven shots. He had two assists in in the previous games. Like So if you look at the Ottawa lines, Dezingle is probably you know, a nice option. I think he's playing on the same line as Brady Kachuk today. Okay, I've got it open now. It was Dezingle with Duchesne, Owen Bodker, and then Zach Smith with Mark Stone and Brady Kachuk. I don't know. So I guess, is Dezingle the clear third forward you want on Ottawa right now outside of Duchesne and Stone? Or is there anyone else that you want to mention? Also, I'll mention Dezingle's been on the top power play with the aforementioned Thomas Shabbat and Duchesne, Bobby Ryan, and Mark Stone. So it's a pretty nice spot for Ryan Dezingle, and he's definitely taking advantage right now. Maybe this is a guy who's fantasy relevant and worth owning. Uh, I made that point. Uh, I must have been on the almanac. He 
co-led the Sens in goal scoring with 23 goals in 79 games last year. Matt Duchesne was the other co-leader with 23 goals in 11 fewer games. But Dezingle is going to be someone who's going to need to score a few goals for the Sens team to avoid giving up Jack Hughes to Colorado for, well, not for nothing, but for anyway. Uh, so, yes, Dezingle is fancy relevant. I had him for 50 points in our almanac. You had him for lower are you like? Are you thinking of raising him, or do you I still mean, feel comfortable? You had him at forty-five. No, I mean, if he's going to be playing on a good line and on the top power play, and if Shabbat is like maybe better than I expected him to be, then no, I got to raise this single. I'm with you for a fifty-point pace. I wish I picked him. Like I said, instead of Brady Kachuk, who didn't get any power play time today, he was playing with Mark Stone. Maybe it's just his first game. Maybe Kachuk will get it. I, we were thinking like over the summer, like the Sens are just going to trot Kachuk out like all you know all season long, just to show that they made a smart choice in drafting him and not giving away that pick to try to get the you know top pick next year. But so far, you know, whatever, just his first game. We'll have to wait and see. Another thing on the Sens, I'll just mention quickly, Craig Anderson hasn't been terrible. Two games, 9-12 save percentage. So, you know, not uh, anything to write home about, but not something that's destroying your team. So if he's still available and you need a starting goalie, the Sens might not be like the worst team in the league. I don't know. Or even if they are, Craig Anderson might not be the worst goalie to own. So keep an eye on him. Like if, if you like Jacob Markstrom, I feel like you should also like Craig Anderson, right? Like I feel like they're still in the same tier and Anderson's not like completely done. Like he was looking like at times last year. Yeah, last year was a really, really bad season for Craig Anderson. And even if you think he'll, he's fallen off, I couldn't expect him to be quite that bad again. And he's already shown more, uh, well, not more signs of life, but he's, he's had really good uh, looks so far this season. He's looked a little weak on a couple goals, as many go- goalies in the league have. But he's also had some moments where he's really shone and restored some of uh, some of the team's confidence in him. And Mike Condon had a pretty poor showing in Boston today. So for that reason, Craig Anderson does make a good fantasy own, sort of like Jacob Markstrom, where you can't expect a lot of wins, but you can expect a lot of rubber and hopefully at least the league average save percentage. Yeah, I, I, I like him. I drafted him in the last round of the Cupful. I would be open for trading him if anyone listening is in my division. Like, I don't need four goalies, but he seems fine. He's actually been my most productive goalie because, like I said, I have Allen and Murray who have been terrible. Unfortunately, Anderson's been on my bench for both of the games he's played because I played those other guys ahead of him. I really made a mistake, clearly. Okay, uh, one team that many people expected Ottawa to compete with for the basement spot in the league are Montreal, but they've also been solid for, so far, like actually more than solid. They had a 3-2 overtime loss to the Leafs on opening night. Then they destroyed Pittsburgh 5-1 to on Saturday. What a shock. And you, you look at these players who are doing well in Montreal. It's probably like all guys who are available in free agency or were at some point. You've got Paul Byron, who's got two goals and two assists now. Max Domi, three assists. Lekin in a goal and two assists. This is, again, in two games. Uh, Tatar, Kakaniemi both have a point and are on good lines. Okay, here are the lines, actually. If you like, Montreal's really spreading the offense around, which you'd feel like of all the teams, like you think this is not a team that can afford to spread the offense around, but they're trying it. They've got Max Domi on a line with Paul Byron and Arturi Lekin. I've said all three of them have been doing great so far, so that line is obviously working. You've got Dano with Gallagher and Tatar. I feel like Gallagher is like, still probably the best forward on Montreal to own. It's hard to say, but he's really good. So that's good for Tatar and Dano to have exposure to him, as Pete Jensen would say. And then you've got Druin with Armia and Kotkaniemi. People are very excited about Kotkaniemi having even made the team and playing with Jonathan Druin isn't bad. Uh, the top power play has been Armia, Druin, Gallagher, Tatar, and Petrie. Though the other power play units also gotten time. So there's a lot of Montreal players to potentially have on your radar. Like I said, Timmy Gallagher is the best, uh, maybe, then I guess Druin. Like, who else is on your radar here? Like, who would you want on Montreal if, say, Gallagher and Druin are taken? 
I guess Arturi Lekinen would be the hipster choice as a, a forward with having some goal scoring upside. Uh, if not, though, like he, he has a lower floor than someone like Max Domi, and then, uh, but probably in the same neighborhood as someone like Kokaniemi and Tatar. Uh, those guys are all sort of even. So I, I guess I'd say Domi and then uh, Lekinen, then Kokaniemi, and then Tatar. Wow, so you didn't even mention their current leading scorer, Paul Byron. We were getting tweets, people asking, like, should I pick up Paul Byron? It sounds like a clear no from you. I guess he's never shown us anything in his career, right? So why why should we expect that all of a sudden this is the year? I feel like, yeah, this is going to be fleeting projection from... I forget who we were talking about. Paul Byron. Paul Byron. This happens for Byron. It happens for Philip Deneau. They usually don't end up exceeding uh, uh, more than a half point per game pace for large chunks of the season. So the guys I named have a better chance uh, of somehow coming up with, with longer runs of relevance that go beyond half a point per game. Okay, and then all five of these goals that Montreal scored on Saturday were against Matt Murray, who's had a brutal start for the Penguins. 831 save percentage after two games. Should Murray owners be worried at this point, or is this just classic early season wonkiness? We know for sure that he's going to be fine. Like, he also wasn't great last year, which makes this start all the more concerning. Like, we had a post on our Facebook group by Ian saying, hey, everyone, Matt Murray's just not good. And made me very sad because I picked him early in the cup full of Brian. Make me feel better or just, like, you know pull off the band-aid and let me know that he sucks okay well how about this uh, name the pittsburgh backup casey DeSmith. oh wow you you knew that pretty quickly yeah well i know that tristan jerry is injured right we did this almanac you know that i know the <laughs> pittsburgh back we debated about goalie rankings well, yeah, but, we, but we didn't know which guy it was going to be for sure right yeah, but now Jari's injured, so I guess right. DeSmith so has cool. it by default. But DeSmith had good runs last year. Like, I don't know. It's tough to say. But for now, Murray's still the starter, but he's got to get a good game in at some point. So, yeah, well, the point I was trying to make is that I, I bet a lot of our listeners weren't sure whether it was DeSmith or Jari. I wasn't sure. Ten minutes into the Penguins' first game, I had to look it up to remind myself who the backup was. And that's why... I feel like we don't need to be terribly concerned. It's kind of like Mike Smith in Calgary, where the Penguins really just kind of need Matt Murray to work out. And to be fair to Matt Murray, Pittsburgh has done a woeful job of protecting him at even strength. Only Vancouver has exposed their goalie to a more difficult uh, body of work uh, so far this year, according to expected goals against. Pittsburgh also boasts the 10th worst power play expected goals against rate in the league. So Murray owners, there's your ray of hope that it's not all Matt Murray's fault. It's also Pittsburgh's fault uh, as a team. I'm not saying that Matt Murray, like I still might agree with Ian. In fact, I've made the point that we don't know that Matt Murray is much better or better at all than a replacement level NHL goaltender. But even saying that Murray isn't a sure thing, should be okay because even unsure things should generally still be worth owning if they get to 10 Schwein for the Penguins. Yeah, the thing is, Brian, in our, I know this is very like inside baseball here, like for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, I know a lot of people who are listening are in this league with us that we've produced for the very kind patrons of our show. Like we actually did something a bit novel. Like we're not counting wins for as much in other leagues. We're giving a lot more credit. It's a points league, but we're giving minus two for goals against and 0.35 for a save and only two points for a win. So most of the goalies points are coming from if they're having a good game or not. So he's not getting the credit for me for being on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like he got that 7-6 win over Washington to start 
the year. And I think he barely got me positive points. He gave me like, you know, it was like nothing. Like I need him to actually play well. So I don't know, maybe I should have thought of it a little more carefully and gone for a goalie, you know, like an Auntie Ranta or something who's not on as good a team. But see, I don't know. You don't know. And it's, it's still early, like you say. So it could just be the fact that Pittsburgh's not been playing good defense and they'll improve over the next couple of games. Uh, another quick thing on Pittsburgh, Daniel Sprong is someone we talked about as looking like he was going to play on the top line. That definitely hasn't happened. He's been actually on the fourth line and Patrick Hornquist has been on the top line with Crosby and Gensel. So obviously Hornquist is owned in your league, but if for some reason you're holding out hope for Daniel Sprong, drop him, forget about him, give him the Casey Middlestat treatment at this point until we see him get on a line and actually do something. Uh, Brian, how about we move on now to another team that scores a lot of goals. Penguins are known to score a lot of goals. How about the Toronto Maple Leafs? Everyone's so excited this season. John Tavares came in and like everyone's getting so many points. Like The biggest debate in Toronto right now is pretty much like did they make a mistake dropping Curtis McElhenney because Garrett Sparks had that bad game against Chicago but like Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Marlowe, Riley all of them are over a point per game in three games so far Matthews has eight points in three games like I wonder if Austin Matthews can potentially challenge for the Art Rosses here Connor McDavid's only played once though and he had a good game so obviously he's still the front runner but Matthews just is showing himself to be so good John Tavares fitting right in on his line with Marner. Yesterday, actually, Kasperi Kapanen bumped Tyler Ennis from the Austin Matthews line, and he p- quickly picked up a goal and an assist playing with Matthews. So, you know, like, obviously, at some point, William Nylander, and by the way, that is a correct pronunciation. A lot of people tweeted at us. Uh, that, that's the way that we were told Swedish people say his name. So William Nylander, he uh, will sign eventually and take that spot with Matthews, you've got to assume. But for now, if Kasperi Kapanen is going to be on this line, this is not like a nobody. This is a guy who has a lot of upside. We just said, like, there's, I don't see where he's going to fit. But I feel like right now for a short-term ad, you could do a lot worse than Kasperi Kapanen. You could, and hopefully you you look at Kapanen as someone who's kind of like a Zach Hyman uh, complimentary player at his floor, because I know I know there are a lot of people, a lot of Kapanen fans out there who think he can be more than just a complimentary type player, that he can really generate his own offense, which is yet to be seen. But at least in the meantime, at least he can ride shotgun and be able to to get himself involved enough in the offense to make himself worthwhile for your team. I wouldn't go dropping anyone fantastic for Kapanen, given the likelihood of Nylander's return, but uh, he makes a really great short-term option to plug into one of your bottom roster spots in the meantime. Yeah, I think people are going to see this year. Well, I don't know. I'm in Toronto. I'm like in this bubble here, but like Austin Matthews, goddamn. But also it's been only three games and also, he's played against some weak teams. Yeah. I also like that you said everything is good in Toronto, except it feels as though the Leafs were one shot on goal away from like, DEFCON 5 levels of panic and parade canceling and Shanahan bus throwing under like they had a shaky win over Montreal in overtime then they lost to Ottawa if they had lost to to Chicago in overtime which really could have gone either way I feel like that would have been the beginning of the sky falling and sadly for those of us outside the Toronto bubble that's not what happened as it's a lot more fun to watch Uh, if that is the situation from outside. Uh, But anyway, things seem to be at least manageable in Toronto for now. Yeah, I mean, also, I'm more like saying everything's good, like fantasy wise. Like, I'm looking at all their oh, players. Okay. Like, I, you, like, people are definitely saying here that they need defense. Like, obviously, they've let in all these goals so far. A lot of people are saying, yeah, sign Nylander and then trade him for a defenseman. That's what clearly we're scoring enough goals without him. We just need the defense. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll make a move. 
Uh, it'll be fun to watch and see. I'm excited to be here. I'm having a good time. Brian, okay, that's everything I prepped. I, uh, during the show, there were some people talking about other players in the chat rooms. So how about super quickly, we could do a lightning round. We could start by talking about the Capitals. TJ Oshi, someone who you're always like reticent to be too high on, but he's having a great start. Like, he still is on a decent line and on the top power play. He's playing with Backstrom and Verana on line two, and he's playing on the top power play with Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, and of course, John Carlson. And TJ Oshie so far has played two games. He had a goal and an assist versus Boston and two goals and an assist versus Pittsburgh. So great start for Oshie. I'd imagine you're going to say now's the time to sell high if you have him. If you can. Okay. so <laughs> Like if you can sell him high is what was it? 16, 17 TJ Oshie? Absolutely. Yeah, like obviously you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what kind of player you are trying to go after for him. Like a lot of times we say sell high and then people end up just doing a trade of someone who we think is actually just equally good. Like we're saying sell high, like get someone amazing for like, you know, get a Clayton Keller for TJ Oshie. I think I would like, that's a good move, right, Brian? Clayton Keller for TJ Oshie every day of the week. There And I feel like in a lot of leagues, you could do that right now because Keller has no points and Oshie has like five points. So there you go. There's some advice for you. Alex Ovechkin, of course, off to a great start. He's got two goals in two games. So he's on his way to get a 100-goal season. He's on his way to push for that Wayne Gretzky goal-scoring record. Oh he's got 50 goals every year for the next I think Pedersen has a better chance at this point. <laughs> Come on. Don't be silly. Okay. Uh, the other guy that I've seen a lot of people talking about is Kevin Fiala over on Nashville. So this is, I guess, on the opposite side of TJ Oshie. So a lot of people were excited when they saw that Fiala was getting top-line deployment during the preseason, playing with Forsberg and Johansson. But once the season started, it was Victor Arvidsson there, and Arvidsson's doing great there. And in fact, Fiala hasn't even been playing on the second line. It's been Kyle Turris with Craig Smith and Callie Yarncroc, at least in Nashville's last game. Kevin Fiala's been playing with Frederick Goudreau, I guess, and Zach Ronaldo, like this is not a good spot for someone that people were reaching for in their drafts, expecting super deployment, two games so far for Fiala, no points, two shots, just like completely boring. Like he's on the second power play for whatever that's worth. Should people be looking to drop Fiala? Is he in the James Neal category where if you have one of these exciting guys that we were talking about this episode, like a Furland, whatever, time to make that swap? He's close. He's someone I would be tempted to hang on to for just a little bit longer because, well, it's weird that his deployment has dropped at this point in his career, especially when we were thinking that, hey, he could just be Victor Arvidsson essentially this season. So it depends on how deep your league is. You can probably give up on him temporarily if you feel like you have confidence you can re-add him as because uh, I, I think he will inevitably ascend the depth chart again. But for now... Uh, you can probably leave him be. Uh, Elon, just because you mentioned it, one of my favorite players to remind people exists, uh, Craig Smith, 10 shots in his first two games. He has a goal and an assist in those games also. Also seeing a greater than 50% share of his team's power play time. He could be a good uh, add in the meantime for either Fiala or really anyone. He could be a good streamer for you if his schedule works for yours. Yeah, like I'm the type of player that I would be streaming out Fiala. Like essentially like Connor Sherry is out there or even Craig Smith. Give me the guy in the good spot. And Craig Smith, like you say, he goes on runs every year where he's valuable. Then he goes quiet and then you could drop him. But yeah, for now, grab him while he's on the second line. He's on the top power play. Looking good. Okay, Brian, we can obviously keep going. There's still a lot of teams we haven't talked about. If we didn't talk about your favorite team this week, we might get to them next week. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know who you want us to talk about. We have to stop. It's been a couple hours. I've had a blast. I'm so excited that the season is going. Next week, we'll have even more data to be able to crunch to really analyze these players 
But yeah, thanks everyone for listening. If you're tuning in for the first time and you like the show, obviously like subscribe, do whatever you need to do to get our show every week. We're going to be doing this every week, breaking down who's hot, who's cold, who's injured, who's outjured, like how it affects everyone. This is our bread and butter. This is what we do. We've been doing it for a long time and I feel like we have hit our stride, Brian. I'm just, I could, I could do podcasts all the time. I'm having such a good time. If you want to support the show, aside from obviously subscribing, giving us a five-star review on iTunes, we'd definitely appreciate that. Also, if you want to really support the show with some money, you could buy Brian or I a beer, like an on-sale beer, uh, by subscribing to us on Patreon for $5 a month. And we're going to give you like a bunch of perks in return. You're going to get in our patron-only Facebook group. You're going to get our monthly patron cast. You're going to get our show notes. This is like, this is a novel of like players and stuff that we talked about today that you can go back and look through. We post that when we post the episode. Uh, you can check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron to get all of that information. Uh, but with that, Brian, how about we end it and cue the outro music and then you can go ahead and read us the credits. I'm going to read you more than the credits, Elon. I've got a special surprise for you that I know you're going to love, especially uh, two hours plus into podcast recording. Uh, you mentioned our patrons and how much we appreciate them. Uh, it's been a while since we've welcomed officially any new patrons onto the show. In fact, since back in March. So I'd like to thank our new patrons over the last six and a half months. Are you ready? I mean, this sounds like it's going to be a brag. Like, uh, you know, we've had a few people join because they wanted to play in the cupful. Like, I, I wonder how long this is going to take. Uh, okay, go for it. Let's do it. Thanks, everyone. And Brian's going to name you now. Welcome. That's, apparently that's interesting content. Yeah, yeah, there it is. I was just waiting, trying to elicit it, provoke that take. Okay, thank you and welcome to Matt W., Warren B., Duadora, Adam L., Ed T., Brandon D., Dana K., Riley S., Brian H., Sean M., Corey R., Christer S., The Mystical Sasquatch, Adrian K., John A., Dan H., Robert D., Jake R., Evan K., Ted A., Brandon L., Will M., Ethan R., James H., Daniel D., Luca I., Kevin M, Mike W, James J, Robert C, Craig C, Steve A, Ben C, Sean H, William B, Brett J, Peter S, Martin F, Tom J, Alexander M, Renee R, Michael, oh, I can't tell if these are I's or L's, L, Brian R, Des D, Alexis T, Mike K, Ian M, John L, Kyle R, Andrew N, Nico, Prince J, John K, Dave R, Harrison M, Brandon P, Mason G, Cam D, Thomas C, Thomas L, Graham S, Sean B, Mark C, Doug P, Adam R, Joel S, Carl P, John G, David P, Uni Q, Brian B, Chris W, Mark R, Jeremy D, Mark C, John R, Colin P, Jen L, or Yan L, Stefan W, TJB, Adam K, Matthew J, Jared H, Honest Bill, Nick O, Rob B, PJR, Matt T, Scott S, Dan B, Krista O, Josh V, Austin, Mike P, Roman Z, Mika, Matty R, Matt G, Corey P, Nikolai B, Jamie C, Ryan S, Joel D, Rob D, Max, Terry K, Scott W, Adam B, Phil W, and Christopher B. We are officially now caught up. Okay, by the way, for those of you thinking after this long list, you're probably already stopped listening, actually. But for those, like, five people still listening to the show, uh, thinking, oh, they don't need my patronage. They've got enough. We also had a lot of people leave, you know, when the summer started. So, you know, like, it's not as if we've had all these guys. I don't, think, like, that's, I don't think that's what anyone's thinking. Well, I just don't want people to think we're bragging, like, oh, like, come support the show. Like, we still would definitely appreciate your support to help us. Be, oh, this is so boring. Okay, you didn't hear the outro music start before, even though I said cue the outro music, because there's no way that I'm going to, like, loop the song through this whole thing. So now I'm going to officially say <laughs> we're very 
very happy to have you listening to the show. Thanks and, for listening. And we're sorry for boring you for the past couple of minutes, but thanks to those people <laughs> that Brian named. Okay, now let's cue the outro music, and can you just go ahead and read us the credits? Because I, I gotta edit the show, I wanna go to bed! This episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Statric, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoldies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax, and Yahoo! Cool. Great job, as always. Brian, uh, we'll be back at all of you with another episode next Sunday, 8 p.m. If you want to join us live, keepingcarlson.com slash live. Also, don't forget to join us for that FanDuel contest tomorrow. So Tuesday, uh, keepingcarlson. Or what was it? FanDuel.com slash Carlson. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye. Oh, until then, keep on keeping Carlson.